everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for their interest in my cup journey. Last week, we did an episode called Be There in 40 Ounces with my sister, Kelly. And while an alternate title considered was Two Girls, One Cup, I realized that was taken. I really, you know, was genuinely interested in how people slash consumers get so invested and and how demand is harvested for what I would deem an otherwise fairly commonplace item. Uh, But one of my incredible listeners, her name's Tate, promptly shipped me a Stanley Adventure Quencher, 40 ounces, for my own keeping. It's cream, it's stunning, it's bigger than my head. In the past two days, I have been making it a goal to at least finish one full cup. And I know that like if I was following, I don't know, normal health and wellness guidelines, I would be, aren't you supposed to drink half your body weight in ounces or something? I'm, you know, I'm not a great water drinker and, uh, I am not always the best at getting around to doing that mostly because I just feel a little too full all the time when I have that much water sloshing through me. I swear my body feels like a great wolf lodge. (laughs) And no, I don't mean Great Wolf Lodge in a sense of my body being like a reservoir of mostly bacteria and like floating band-aids, but I do mean that my body does feel like an indoor water park thanks to this unforeseen increased hydration. And thank you to Tate. Thank you to everyone for your support in my investigation of cup culture. Um, I will continue to report back. So far, so good. It's just, it's a lot of water for me. And I had to laugh because on the packaging, it says, uh, this cup has survived a 4,000 foot drop from a plane. It's like, well, that's cool. (laughs) But isn't that a weird thing to advertise? Assuming that this cup's value is like being sold with this copy to the owner of the cup. And then, but part of that expressed value is like, if I fall out of a plane, when I'm falling and it feels like flying to the bone crush and I kick the bucket, are they going to call my family and be like, sorry, Kate didn't make it, but great news. You've officially inherited an adventure quencher. Uh, I, I mean, hey, I, I don't know. If you, if you drop it off the Eiffel Tower and it survives, sure, it will knock out any passersby. And while I'd feel sorry for the victims, they also maybe don't understand a similar perilous event, which is having to buy an adventure quencher with that aftermarket eBay markup. So I don't know, you guys, maybe maybe the 4,000 foot drop does have value after all. Uh, it also says it's been run over by a tractor and even stopped a bullet. Uh, uh. <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> Ma'am, this is a Wendy's. I'm just looking for a place my liquids can call home. If it has insulation, a decent HVAC system, hot or cold, like that's awesome. But like... <laughs> These just these are features I just do not need my cup to have. I'm really kind of, I mean, if I ever had hopes of selling a cup in my merch store, standards are a bit too high for me now to compete in this marketplace. Anyway, guys, today we're going to talk about summer things. I crowdsource stories about uh, summer camp and suburban pool culture and just like, I don't even know what's going to be out there. I'm gonna read them out loud as I go through them and I'm so excited and I guess I'll start by like musing a little bit uh I feel like I haven't done a good old-fashioned be there in five tangent in a while which new listeners find manic but I feel at home when I just experiment and let myself talk for a half hour and like see what happens because um, I feel like these sorts of nostalgic topics are where I just tailspin with excitement of thinking back on all the things that 
I feel are worth reminiscing and celebrating about life that make me feel comforted in the uncertain days of adulthood. You know what I mean? What's also funny that inspired this episode, so many of you were like randomly reaching out being like, you should crowdsource summer camp stories. And I'm just naturally interested in pool culture as well. So I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be fun. Um, never know if like my summer camp experience, you know, I don't know how universal stuff is. Then I realized the podcast, Love, Jamie, Knox, Aaron, uh, there are other podcasts, Bible Binge, did a some like a, I think it's specifically a like Christian summer camp episode recently. And I think that's where a lot of you got the idea. So apologies for the duplication of topic. I guess there's, you know, synergy because I know a lot of you love the podcast too, but be sure to listen to their episode as well because this is going to be kind of a hybrid of church camp and general summary things. I guess I'll start out with general summer uh, and we'll get to camp a little later. I feel like I talk about camp too much, but I'll, you know, give a refresher if I can. I'm trying to think if anything's new with me as we start out. Um, I'm like... I, you know, I don't drive like I can, I have it. I like physically can, but I it takes me a little bit to get, ner- you know, back in the swing of things. And um, I don't know. I just live in a city that's super convenient and near public transit. And I walk a lot and I just I don't know. It's not something my husband or I ever feel like we need. And when we go places, we just rent cars. Ubers are getting really expensive. And also, I feel like Sometimes when I want to get in summer mode, I feel a little trapped. I I would love to be able to like go for a drive. I used to go for drives a lot when I was growing up in Virginia, like through Goochland and, you know, like kind of more rural back roads and listen to music and like think. And I think I'm kind of missing that. And I also, I don't know, I miss pools, like a a community pool, A, a rooftop pool isn't the same. And I can't figure out like what I'm missing in life because I really do deeply feel like I'm a city person. But as, I don't know, like my husband and I, we move on in our life and careers and compound some income. I mean, we have student loans, we're renters, but I feel like we don't really buy big ticket items. And I'm like, I kind of feel like I want to grow up and like do something. And it's funny because, you know, I love watching like new construction and influencer conspicuous consumption. I think what people spend their money on is really interesting. And I think that I mean, it's been a theme of this podcast, but really I feel this way. So much of what I deem to be luxury and big ticket purchases and the things that I I want and picture for myself have so little to do with what's actually luxurious against like modern standards of my peers and everything to do with what I just kind of idolized when I was young or what I thought was cool. I don't know. I think my attention to detail was so heightened or something. And I was always like, I got to get this geo tracker. That's why I was talking about this last week with Kelly, because it just made me realize my taste in cars is so teenage because that was the last time I knew people who had cars. So I'm like dropping everything. And I'm like, damn, Greg, look at this used Jeep Wrangler. All cash offer, like done deal, no brainer. And he's like, what? We live in Chicago. Why would we get a Jeep Wrangler? (laughs) And also my only reason is like, well, Cher Horowitz had one. You know, I just, what's wrong with me? I, my entire taste is so enveloped in, I don't know pop culture, nostalgia, things I thought were high end and luxurious when I was young. I think that like stuff is more meaningful that you've always wanted and stuff that I realized this year I wanted, like just doesn't pack the same punch for me. But okay, then an example of like a modern luxury that peers have that I'm very envious of that I when I see it on like Instagram stories that that I we wouldn't do the initiation fees are too high. And I think I'd probably hate everybody there. But I'm currently obsessed also with country clubs because I used to work at country clubs. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, 
wait till I shine like fireworks over the sad empty town. I'm going to be a member one day. <laughs> I'm going to treat people like me real well. And uh, but now I'm like, I don't know if I really want to associate with the type of people that uh, I don't know. There's so many like golf bros that like were frat boys that never grew up that just like would pound beers all day on the golf course, ignore their families and like hit on the cart girls. And I just it made me realize what I didn't want for my life. But that's I mean, my husband likes to play golf. A lot of people like to play golf. It's not an inherently bad thing. I just think that country clubs are a weird place where like men go to avoid hanging out with their families, in my experience. Um, but to be fair, I am deeply interested in a third place for myself, not because I don't want to be with Greg and Tugboat, but because I just need somewhere else to go. Well, two things. I feel like two things would make my life measurably more desirable. A basement or a country club membership. And when I say country club, I'm not sure if I just mean a pool with a snack bar because I don't honestly need the golf. I mean, I hit some tennis balls and drink rosé with my friends. Uh, I, I just worked at a country club for several years and really thought it looked cool to be a member. And I loved that uh, kind of sentiment of, ugh, got to fill the monthly minimum. Guess I have to go get a chicken Caesar app. Like, are you kidding me? That's like my best case scenario. Like, ugh, kids, we got to get them, got to meet the minimum. Let's go get delicious chicken tenders and a chicken Caesar wrap and sit in the shade in a beautiful location and have A-plus people watching while I wait till the time ticks on till about 3 or 4 p.m. to see if the other moms are starting to drink so I can get a soft blanc. I just think... It's so ideal to be eating like hot foods, like concessions that have elevated plating in a pool setting in the shade and charging it back to the room like your life is a full time resort. I think I, I, I like amenities. I just like amenities. It's like same thing. I like going to my parents' house. I'm like fresh towels, stocked fridge, great service. <laughs> Sp like sparkling clean. In addition to the company, of course, I just love having a third place that is built upon hospitality where I can enjoy all the things I want to enjoy that in, in a way that elevates life from my home. Like if I'm going to leave my home and spend a lot of time at some other place, I want it to be better than my home. And it's kind of like, you know, when people want to rent Airbnbs and you're in a group and somebody's like, I don't know, really pushing for a cheaper option. And, you know, I'm not that pretentious, but at the same time, if I'm a working woman who wants to pay to vacate her life, I'm not going to pay to sleep somewhere worse. You know, I, I want to go somewhere <laughs> that feels like a vacation. And similarly, I don't know. I just feel like I have nowhere to go. Like I love my home and apartment. I just wish I had a place to go to like do other stuff that I could like chill for a while. And the only places I go are like friends' houses and restaurants and stuff, which is great and normal. But I think that I'm starting to feel like I'm missing something because majority of my life prior to city living, there was just always so many places to go. There's so much space. You could drive around. You could go chill at the pool. Everyone belonged to like a different pool. I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know if I'm making sense. I hope you guys know I'm not complaining. But like a year and a half of being like you live in a city and pay the markup of, of rent because of the municipal benefits of living in that city, because it's dense and it's filled with stuff to do and you don't spend that much time at home. You spend a ton of time at home and I love my home and I think it's beautiful. 
when the weather gets warmer, I just start to feel very limited, I guess, by the city. I'm just being honest. I I do feel like at a point you think you're like so elite and you're like a city slicker when you're first here. But then as time goes on and you get a little older and your needs change and your income changes, you really do see the benefits of why somebody would opt for a more suburban vibe. And I salute all of you who made that decision before I did. So yeah, I guess I've just been reminiscing a lot about my experience at pools and thinking back to my country club days quite a bit. And I've also been thinking a lot about the other place I spent the majority of my summers, which were other people's basements. I know I talk about basements a lot and you guys probably think I'm insane. (laughs) But like I said earlier, like that was one of my, we were, when we were supposed to move and then we didn't have to move and it's just easier because we're kind of in a transitional phase to stay a bit longer because uh, I don't like know exactly what we want. And also the real estate market's a freaking nightmare right now, as we all know. And uh, like I just became obsessed with basements during COVID and I have such fond memories. And they, to me, like per the me idolizing things in my youth, I don't know, in Virginia, you know, in Chicago or the Midwest, really, um, basements are pretty common, I think, because of the NATOs. But in Virginia, it's pretty Basements are reserved for houses with like premier square footage or maybe a high risk plot of land on a steep incline. I don't know. Uh, But they weren't that common. And the people that had them were the beach bit. They were the max. They were Central Perk. They were the core hangout. And the best of the best are the ones with outdoor access. Now, I know, you know, I have kids in the future. I do not want a basement with outdoor access. I do kind of prefer. I don't I, I don't know. I can never decide how helicoptery I'll be, but I'd like for the people hanging out with my kids to have to come in the front door, look me in the eye, shake my hand. And I can gauge things about their character. Like if they did the two things that I just find deeply rude about a house guest, which is to walk on the lawn or go straight to your fridge without your express permission. Now, I know everyone's different, but I'm, I'm a person that grew up learning manners over everything. I do not understand people that walk on people's yards. Like there's a driveway and a sidewalk, like a pathway. I respect the hell out of some yard work. You know how, how hard it is to make grass grow? Give them a break. I mean, I'm, I'm as judgmental about a terrible lawn as the next guy, mostly because they're not hospitable for slip and sliding. You can end up with a lot of abdomen bruises. But when, a, you know, there's a nice lawn, I try to respect it. And I just, I, I get the temptation of wanting to take a shortcut. We all want to pursue the hypotenuse. It is faster. But it's just it's a small price to pay to not risk doing something. I mean, like, what if they just fertilize? What if they just aerate it? I don't know. I, I don't understand walking on people's lawns. But that's another funny thing in life. Why do we buy things and do things and maintain things just that are pretty, that are supposed to be functional, but then if they're pretty, they lose their function. It's kind of disappointing. And like now, obviously, I don't care if my friends or family, loved ones help themselves to my fridge. But you know what I mean? Something about when I was a kid and like I'd have somebody over after school to play or whatever. And they didn't know me or my family that well. And they helped themselves to stuff out of my fridge. I always thought that was a weird behavior. (laughs) My being judgy. Uh, I just feel like refrigerators are like kind of personal things. And while it's my job as the hostess to offer you something, some people won't. I mean, look at Steve from Full House. Always went straight to the fridge. I don't always know if that's the most respectful behavior. Why am I talking about this? Oh, what? What am I talking about? Oh, basements? I don't know. I just, I try to live by the Irish blessing that I wrote and I pinned to my Twitter profile because I believe it so deeply in terms of how I want to operate from abundance and not scarcity, to quote a manifesting babe. Uh, I really believe like may the nicest thing you own today be your basement furniture of tomorrow. I find comfort in the idea that 
I would cherish something now that later would be so innocuous, nominal, unimportant to me that I'd send it to the Island of Misfit Toys, the basement of eyesore furniture, and move on to bigger and better things, hopefully in the form of a cloud sofa with a thick layer of stain-resistant coating. Again, a thing that's beautiful but not super functional, and I don't want to panic around like children forgetting fingerprints on a couch. Like, you know, like, can we normalize living in our homes? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like, I watch bloggers apologize for, like, a shoe on the floor, and I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I'm a mess, sorry. And I'm like, you're not, though. Like, you're fine. Like, it's okay that your child, who's an, you know, toddler, took their shoe off and left it there. Like, what, what kind of life is this where we're obsessed with everything being orderly and not just, like, Giving ourselves a break. Don't even get me started about minimalism. I understand if you're a person that genuinely doesn't like clutter. I understand it's a design aesthetic. I understand culturally this is something that a lot of parts of the world value. Historically, minimalism has had its waves from a functional standpoint of being an economic, in an economic state where people could not live maximally if they tried, right? And I think that I struggle a bit with the correlation between like minimalism and luxury and minimalism and superiority. Like, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting choice as a, as a design aesthetic that ironically is not super attainable. It's quite maximalist in the expenditure and effort required to make your space look minimalist in a way that almost counteracts the entire essence of the point of minimalism, which is not to appear a certain way, but to like need less and require less in an effort to enjoy and celebrate the space around you or functionally to be in a place where you do not have the space to include anything that does not have a specific role or function. Like, I don't know if I'm making sense. I just think that it's funny how in a post-Marie Kondo world, we really like clutter shame. (laughs) And it's like okay to have stuff on services. Like it's okay to live in your own home. It's okay to collect things. It's okay to have frames and like if you want tchotchkes, have tchotchkes. It's just kind of weird to adopt a decor style that's grounded in owning what's you know, necessary, but spending a fortune on unnecessary furniture designed to cosplay a minimalistic lifestyle. You know what I mean? Why did I get on? The, 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 the tangents are plenty, guys. I think there's an episode title here, like tangents and tan lines. So <laughs> it sounds like a shitty early 2010s blog. Uh, sun tangents. No. Uh, if you can't tone it, tangent. <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> Don't, that was insane that people used to say if you can't tone it, damn it. It's just, it's just, it's insensitive. It's like so uh, diet culture-y and gross. And I just, I, I cringe thinking about that until truly recent years. It never even occurred to me how problematic saying things like beach body, bikini body, summer body. It's like a body's a body that doesn't need like permission or a qualifier to be able to exist in a certain context, like a pool or a beach or in the summertime. Like, it's so messed up. It's so, I do feel like the, the latter part of my life was just so dictated. Like my interest in summertime activities, like the sad thing is I do feel like part of it was 
I convinced myself of what I didn't, didn't like to do, but it was kind of more so based on how I felt about myself in a bathing suit context than anything, you know? And I think that's why I almost feel strongly about my earlier pool days that were so deeply unselfconscious and more about like activity and snack bars. I guess to reminisce a little bit more about the, my, my pool days. Um, and then I'll go into your stories. I do miss the days when, you know, going to the pool or beach was just about like playing, you know, it was very verb. It's what you do. Do you remember those commercials? You like run and jump and swim and play. And what is that from row and go on trips? But the thing that lasts forever are our true friendships. Oh, Cambodawana. <gasps> Funny. Didn't even mean to do that. That was a salute your shorts theme song. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just miss being an age where your body isn't ogled or sexualized in a way you become so aware of, uh, deeper into your teen years. And, you know, I just feel like at a point it became less active and fun and more about laying out and people compare their abs and their sizes and pools and beaches become about like scoping for romantic interests. And there's so much comedy in that too, but it is a little sad to think something I really enjoyed at one point became a source for anxiety because my early days were so joyful your body was just a thing you used to release the insane volumes of energy you had in your youth. You probably wore your swim team speedo because you know $60 and your mom said you needed to get at least three summers out of it. I then graduated on to like exhilaration for Target, maybe like a Kohl's brand or I mean if you were high roll and Delia's or Girlfriend's LA like a halter top bikini with a boy short bottom and like a green and blue stripe, maybe like a daisy pattern. It was typically a fabric that was kind of nylon, but also like almost a waffle shirt. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I just, I loved playing categories or, or movies <gasps> or like trying to surf on those kickboards that would go flying and hit someone's dad in the head. And it's like, sorry, bro, wait for adult swim, which is funny. Cause now as an adult, I'm, I'm like so on board with adult swim. But as a kid, I was like, this is kind of rude. I don't know, like 10 minutes at each hour. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about it? Again, I haven't been to a suburban pool in over a decade. So I'm talking about these things like they're yesteryear, but I'm sure they're still very common. Uh, I just feel like there should almost be separate pools or something. But, you know, as a person that's very anti-splash culture, uh, you know, as much as I want the kids to have fun, nothing enrages me like a little punk doing a cannonball too close to my recent blow dry. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like, I don't know. I dabbled in sharks and minnows, but like against my will, I don't like competitions that are based on speed and athleticism. I obviously prefer verbal games, wordplay games. I've crushed it at categories and movies. You know, it was it, basically you'd stand there and be like, there's one person and then a group of people that would have to swim and guess. And you'd be like, H I S TK and people would be like how Stella got her groove back and you'd be like no you dumb idiot and then somebody would be like honey I shrunk the kids and you'd be like yeah and then they'd swim tag you and then they'd go first honestly it was a great game very simple now that I'm thinking about it but <laughs> sharks and minnows like yeah not my time to shine I found situations stressful where kids were like roughhousing when kids run up pools, it gives me anxiety. I, I hate when there are like limbs flying and the chance of me getting kicked in the face. I don't know. They think of things like sharks and minnows where everyone's diving into a pool at once or like a banana boat being pulled by a speedboat and there's six kids on it. Your chance of getting kneed in the jaw are like 90%. I mean, not, not my cup of tea. Uh, 
Uh, if you don't remember Sharks in Minnows politics, basically the sharks in the pool, everyone dives in at the same time with all their limbs in like a small area <laughs> and swims to the other side of the pool trying not to get tagged by the shark. It's like tag in the pool, which is just stressful. And then there's like one or two show-offs inevitably pulling off the oldest trick in the book. They swim as deep as possible, so they're like under the shark. It's kind of the beer pong stoplight re-rack of pool games. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to be left alone or I wanted to play quiet, like word-based games. I wanted to Martha Washington my hair. I wanted to do handstands and pretend I was Dominique Mochianu. I wanted to maybe do an aerial arched back moment now and then. I wasn't as into the the games. I did, you know, scrounge for change though because I know like lately I've talked about how I feel like anymore I'm a little more dry and tame than wet and wild. But I was wet and wild at one point because I was always in the pool and then I'd spend my time out of the pool looking for change you know, below like lounge chairs or in pool filters or whatever. So I could buy wild cherry airheads. That's the wild piece. I was really into wild cherry and very into um, the mystery flavor, obviously, which I think we do know is watermelon. And I just have very fond memories of eating pool foods with wet hands. You know, there's nothing like a slightly damp soft pretzel to make it even softer to satisfy your appetite after a long day of blowing air through pool noodles so the water comes out the other side. The other thing I remember about our pool since we didn't have a formal snack bar is we had vending machines. And I have such vivid memories of sitting there trying to air dry and crisp out my dollar bills of trying to straighten them on the side of the vending machine because I was soaking wet. My dollar would get soggy. The vending machine would reject it. And then I would not be able to resuscitate, to get my energy, to be brought back to life via the only way I knew how, which was a Fruitopia or maybe an ST or a Barks Root Beer. But when the vending machine would reject my limp dollar, I was beside myself. I'd go up to the front and try to get them to swap one out. They weren't always willing. The times were tough. The dollars were limp. That's a charming, uh, if you've ever been to the British Virgin Islands, uh, Yost Van Dyke is this beautiful island that has a bar called Soggy Dollar. And the, you know, the tale is that if you come there on a boat, you have to swim up to get to the beach. So your dollars are soggy that you pay with. And I, the first thing I thought when I got there was, thank you for accepting wet currency. This is something that's bothered me my entire life. But I, I think perhaps the greatest sensation of all, uh, to get back to the snacks, uh, you know, one of the charming things about not having access to meals at my local pool was... The activity of making a sandwich when I'd go home. You know, there's nothing quite like a long day of exercise out in the sun. You're slightly burnt. Your like, eyes kind of hurt from being in the bright light. And you come home around like 4 p.m. And kind of this a similar thing to when you're disproportionately cold and get in a warm blanket. You have a moment of genuine gratitude for having your physiological needs taken care of. I often feel that way when I change out of a wet bathing suit into dry clothing. I mean, there's nothing like an outdoor shower after the beach and coming inside and wearing dry clothes and letting your hair air dry and enjoying some flavor ice pops while you peruse the extensive media library of your beach rental and their collection of John Grisham, Patricia Cornwell, and uh, James Patterson books along with their ample VHS collection of movies like, I don't know, Look Who's Talking. Look who's talking too. And if you're lucky, look who's talking now. I also would spot maybe like 
a gorgeous white ample Disney VHS case in the corner only to realize it was like the Aristocats, you know, it's never the one you want, but it's like a dog movie. And you guys know, I don't watch dog movies just in case one dies like Homeward Bound or Balto or even all dogs go to heaven, which it does insinuate that it turns out well, I, but still I'm not here for that nor Beethoven even but coming home after the pool specifically, just being so exhausted, putting on dry clothes and feeling grateful to be dry, hoping your siblings weren't hogging the television and doing something that I so rarely did in my earlier youth, which is embarrassing and self-insufficient. But I rarely would make my own sandwiches. Uh, you know, my mom just makes outstanding sandwiches. And I would kind of, you know, ask questions like, where's the turkey? And it's like, obviously, it's where the turkey is. Um, but my mom's sweet and would always offer. But something about the independence I felt following a long day at the pool made me want to make my own sandwich. And I would make it the way I liked it, which, you know, I know this is, isn't normal for everyone, but... I, I like deli turkey to be shaved, not sliced. And I would get shaved turkey, so put some salt and pepper on it, uh, top it off with a little ranch, and eat it on white bread, maybe with a side of, like, barbecue chips and the Capri Sun. I'd go find it, the room with an empty TV, park myself on a ideally, like, micro-suede, reclining, puffy sofa, turn on the TV and enjoy a... Disney Channel program. Maybe it was a summer decom like Rip Girls or Johnny Tsunami. Maybe it was a short-lived, under-celebrated TV show like The Torical Sins. I'd eat that sandwich in my dry clothes with my wet hair after a long, satisfying day of exercise and just think, that's the stuff. And even better with the barometric pressures of it all. So often a summer storm would roll through. I love a late afternoon summer storm. You see the darkness in the distance and after a long day, something that would normally be threatening suddenly seems inviting. I, I love that time before a thunderstorm or a snowstorm comes when the prediction alone of inclement weather cancels your plans, you know, with its tranquil authority. You're eating your sandwich, you're watching your shows, you were already tired. So you welcome this omnipotent excuse from the skies to do as little as possible, to stay indoors. Your mom isn't even on your case about the fourth meal you're eating, a sandwich that would normally spoil your dinner, because following a pool day, a pre-dinner sandwich like really isn't an option. I'm envious of a version of myself that isn't programmed with like guilt and anxiety about like eating white bread. You know what I mean? Like at one point it turned into this thing where you're like, oh, um, I'll have the wheat option, please. And it's like, I don't want wheat. It doesn't taste as good. But I know it's important to get your multigrains. I know white bread is a bunch of sugar and we don't need sugar. It's not about diet or weight. You know, we got to cut down on the inflammation. But do you ever feel envious of a version of yourself that just didn't have so many filters you run everything through all the time? I feel envious of a version of myself. I, I think that I'm so, I love talking about summertime of, in childhood. And granted, I, you know, I had a very good childhood and uh, I have a wonderful family and I know it's an immense privilege to have such positive memories associated with summer. Uh, but I think that the concept of, you know, your entire occupation is recreation. You're off school and it's thrilling. You have nowhere to be. You clock hours at the pool playing with friends only to, wake up and do it all over again with no concept of a better way you should be spending your time to play and to exercise and exert energy and to socialize 
and to keep cool in the summer. Like that was your job. That was the goal. Nothing more, nothing less. And not that I idolize the lack of responsibility and the uncertainty of youth. Rather, I think I miss what I call kid fun. Uh, I miss fun and joy and activity without the poison that is maybe self-employment, which is feeling like everything becomes a negotiation in your own goddamn head. Everything becomes about an opportunity cost of better ways you could be spending your time. But I miss the purity of having no concept of guilt or obligation and seeing the value in fun by itself. I don't mean to be a downer, but I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Uh, it just, it's, yeah, somewhere, I guess, in my 20s, it, your, your life becomes very um, consumed by guilt. And it doesn't really feel like it's my choice. What you ate, if you slept in, what you did or didn't get done, if your home is clean, how, you know, if you're following your dreams and pursuing a side hustle, whatever it is, finding your passion, we see every minute of every day as an opportunity cost for being productive, for, you know, the inevitable self-improvement we know we should be making because who we are at this moment is obviously not enough. Um, we all are struggling with the day-to-day -day pain and suffering of life because life is tough, yet I think we chase uh, the simple, uncomplicated nature of the summer's some of us, if we were privileged enough to uh, experience, uh, had in our youth. Uh, it's it. I don't even honestly like going on vacations half the time because it's so much planning and setup. I don't even have kids yet. It's so hard for me to detach and unwind and relax and just play, to just have fun. I know these things are important, but I feel like I, I'm somewhere, I, I've completely reprogrammed my brain to feel bad if I'm not always working or to feel bad if I am sitting by myself and I don't have plans or anywhere to go. Every hangover is a cause for shame and not a celebration of the fun times had the night before. I don't know. I just, I curse the day my ability to be present turned into what I now see is this incredibly unproductive introspection that obsesses over my outward productivity in a way that like, as long as I work for myself or I don't have kids yet, or I want a better body or to be a better person or to have more money or to have more time or to better keep in touch with people, all these things I want, like that, those sentiments will never end. And it's kind of overwhelming that this is now my default setting. And that's why I think I obsess with telling you guys not to over, overly harp on self-improvement. Uh, it's the thing I can't do myself. Right. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I love being an adult and I, and I love being busy and I'm lucky enough to enjoy what I do for work. But I guess my point is summer is something that I love to reminisce about because it represents, you know, both a season of the year that is associated with so many sensory things, sure, but also a season of life where my job was to just do all the things that I always wish I could be doing. Just socializing with friends and enjoying beautiful scenery feeling not self-conscious in a swimsuit. Like I, I, the joy of exerting high amounts of natural energy and, and exercising not out of obligation, uh,
but just for the joy of being active, uh, you know, being overheated, but with an immediate opportunity to cool off. That's something I just like really appreciate about pools, not having to uh, worry about a blow drying routine that makes the simple joyful act of getting in a pool seem high stakes. I, I, most of all, I just, I miss sitting under an umbrella with a hot lunch and a cool beverage, scoping out mega hotties in a lead-like state of unwavering contentment that makes me realize I have not gotten up more adjusted from this spot in the half hour I allegedly had to wait to be allowed to swim again, thus resulting in a rubber patio chair taking an involuntary skin graft from the backs of my thighs as I peel myself away from its unforgiving, flexible planks. Anyway, now that we've regressed through my issues with relaxation, my desire to join a country club except not really, celebrated basements and... uh Talked about the perils of those patio chairs. The the lounge chairs with the rubber, like, stripe planks, I don't know, that I just talked about. I feel like I just blacked out when I was talking. Um, I just, this scene is so vivid to me. But then I, I'd be remiss to not mention the perils of not putting a towel down on a, you know, pool lounge chair that kind of has those strips of plastic or rubber because if you didn't put a towel down, again, not only does the skin grafting a huge issue, but like it was the Venus flytrap of patio furniture. You get a leg or an arm stuck in there, it's, you're like done. It was terrifying. Uh, anyways, more importantly, uh, I guess we should switch gears because I told, talked a lot about the pool and my own issues. Um, but a big part of this too is camp. And I'll just pepper in some of my own camp experiences throughout. Uh, I think some are fun and lighthearted and Girl Scouty, some are secular. And some are super religious. Uh, so we'll just kind of see what happens. I'm so excited. You guys are awesome to write in. Uh, so here is the first one. This person said, I attended a religious camp one time. Some are going to eighth grade, prime awkward age. I've attended Christian schools my whole life. I'm not one for like the outdoors and squiggle marks. And I've been riddled with homesickness my whole life. But bestie, my bestie convinced me to go for 10 days. Oh, that's a long time. Armed with a, my teen Bible, Birkenstocks, hibiscus print, Ocean Pacific t-shirts, shorts, girls had to wear long skirts or shorts, puka shell necklace, and black racer back one-piece Speedo, an accompanying shirt to wear it, wear over it in the pool because, again, girls had to wear a large t-shirt over one-piece swimsuits. Ugh, I digress. The food was heinous. First day's lunch was bologna salad. I did not eat that time or a few others. I was brought to a counselor for suspected eating disorder, which was untrue. Just the food was gross. So after that, I was removed from the group for spiritual counseling. After a few days, they convinced me I needed to be baptized because me being baptized as an infant didn't count. They called my mom so she can, can come witness my baptism in the camp's pool. And needless to say, she was very upset and picked me up on day seven instead of day 10. I did not have the bug juice-esque summer camp experience like I thought I would. Oh, bless your heart. I hate that with the eating disorder. Um, like, let's say that was real there's a way you handle that and that's like not it. Uh, but also sometimes the food is bad. And like, what do you do with a picky eater? I remember struggling with that, uh, as well. Like, I, I, I definitely was weird about sauces and, um, uh, weird meats and stuff. And I did not eat a lot at camp, but I would go to town at what they called a whistle stop, which was canteen. And they gave you those triangular frozen, popsicle things like I think they were probably made by Minute Maid and they were pretty gross it was just grape or orange were your choices uh but I would house those bad boys like I was going into labor as if I've been in labor don't you eat ice chips when you go in labor um anyways parent trap it takes two bug juice all set us up for failure so did Eve from bug juice set you know she set herself up for failure when she 
smoked weed and got herself kicked out before the big dance. I hope we have some stories coming up about the dance. I love the idea of a of a secular camp that's just for fun. You have a blob and you just grind with boys. Oh, that's what I wanted to be going to. Uh, let's see. I went to what I think was a pretty typical Christian summer camp, at least by California standards. Cabins with eight, eight girls in each, counselors with nicknames you only got to learn, and you only got to learn their real names at the end of the week, and it was a big secret before then. Having to wear a black shirt while swimming if you accidentally or brought a two-piece swimsuit, recommitting my life to Jesus every summer, etc. You know, right the mill. <laughs> little this, little that. Uh, I was in a cabin with my best friend, let's call her Amelia, and also another friend we weren't as close with, let's call her Sarah. The villain in the Be There in Five Stories is always Sarah. When hanging up pictures and magazines in our bunks, it quickly became apparent that everyone in our cabin was a huge NSYNC fan. Naturally, we staked our claims to which boy from the band was our favorite. Amelia and Sarah were both Lance fans and got to a very serious discussion about who was a bigger and better fan. They had constant quizzing showdowns to see who could better answer trivia about him. Lance Bastard. (laughs) In the days before Googling was a thing and we were in a cabin without computers, it fell to us uh, other girls to judge the contest. This was stupid because how in the world would we objectively know if they had his birthday or his mom's name right when we didn't have a source of truth? As a JC fan, I didn't really get that involved. I mean, the tracks. What would JC do? You know, Jesus Christ and JC Chazé. Both kind of mild characters that seemed, want, you know, to want everyone to get along. Uh, as a JC fan, I didn't really get that involved. But I also didn't care enough to have brought a JC picture with me to the cabin. Whereas both Amelia and Sarah had their Lance pictures adorning their bunks. Boy, crazy culture is wild. I honestly blame the board game Girl Talk. Uh, their Lance fandom became weirdly central to their personalities that week. It never came to physical blows, but it was catty and pointless girl fighting to the point that I think our counselor had to intervene and tell them to cool it. Side note, why did we feel the need to decorate our bunks when we were there for five or six days? <laughs> well, you're in San Diego. I know, I needed to come back and do a meetup with you guys when Kelly's not as busy. Hey there, Kate. I worked at an all-girls Baptist camp in the South for four summers. I have so very many stories. From your run-of-the-mill unruly campers to staff hijinks to lesbian love affairs. And don't even get me started on co-ed week. <gasps> Sounds like a soap opera. I'm intrigued. But I'll share two of my favorites plus a non-camp Disney one. I'm a summer birthday, so I had my 21st birthday working at camp. At this point, I was on the admin team and didn't live in a cabin with kids. So my best friend and I decided, or my best friend and I debated sneaking a bottle of wine to drink on my birthday, which we ultimately decided against because some lines you just don't cross. However... The camp's business manager, who was the sweet and darkly hilarious retired teacher, had to go to town the morning of my birthday, and when she came back, she handed me a grocery bag and said, everyone deserves a six-pack on their 21st birthday. I opened the back bag and found a six-pack of giant water bottles. Oh, I did not see that coming. It was hilarious. <laughs> it reminds to this day one of my favorite birthday stories to tell. Man, I, I really thought, you said darkly retired? I mean, I thought they, I thought they were going to be cool. Um, my last summer on staff, my best friend and I were basically in charge of the whole camp and had our run of the place by the end of this summer we knew we weren't coming back again so we decided we were going to have some fun and go out with a bang uh, one night with about a week left in the summer after we completed our lights out check ascertaining that we were indeed the only folks left awake on the property we went down to the pool i had the keys because i was in charge of all the water activities and we went skinny dipping we felt so very rebellious and it went so perfectly that we did it again the next night and then the next night one could say we snuck in through the pool gate every night that week just to seal our fate. <laughs> We almost got caught by the staffer who lived in the cabin closest to the pool once, which only added to the thrill, but we somehow managed to make it the whole week without notice. I'd like to know that both of us were lifeguards. Water safety is important. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> oh, big Beth energy. Uh, we're, you know, we're all fun within reason, of course. Reason is important. 
not camp related, but I was a lifeguard at Disney World for a semester in college. It was certainly a cruel fall, to say the least. I did the Disney College Program. If you're unfamiliar, it's an absolute genius program Disney's designed to get high-performing college students to compete for a spot. The acceptance rate, at least acceptance rate when I was applying, was lower than most Ivy League schools. These kids get assigned to some of the worst jobs at Disney parks for minimum wage and considered a prestigious honor. Oh, that's messed up. Most of them are thrilled to be doing it. I had two roommates who worked fast food service in the parks. One was a custodian in the parks and one was a lifeguard at one of the high-end resorts. And only one roommate who had a fun job working a ride. I was assigned to the all-star resorts as a lifeguard, which I was already certified for, but Disney makes you do their special training on top of whatever lifeguarding certifications you might already have. It was super intense. When you were on duty, you were never allowed to stop moving your head. You couldn't sit down for more than five minutes at a time, even if there were no people in the pool, you had to patrol it like it was full. The way they enforce these protocols is by secret audits. At any time, someone could be hiding in a bush filming you, or they could be disguised as a guest and get in the water and drop what they call vats. I don't remember what it stood for. They were basically mats in the silhouette of a human body, and they would time how long it took you to spot, then how long it took you to get to it. I feel like when I tell people about the VAT situation, they're like, oh, that can't be too hard to spot. But I don't think you realize how packed some of these Disney resort pools can be. I was anxious for five months straight, not because I was nervous to save someone, but because I was nervous I'd fail an audit and get fired for sitting 10 seconds too long or not moving my head enough when no one was in the water. I continuously had cold sores from subconsciously gnawing on the side of my cheek while on duty. There was fringe benefit of getting to go to the parks for free, though. (laughs) That's, uh, like, what a waste of our the you know young talent of america so this is like elite i mean lifeguarding is important but like and yeah the liability is important too but like that, that's what i don't get is are there people that are like professional medics who also double as lifeguards like the one the kardashians hired at their malibu place in this past season like isn't that like a professional job that should be left to somebody with like medical experience i mean i know you were a certified lifeguard and you know obviously you take water safety very seriously but uh, it just seems like a weird use of a rising star in academia, you know? Anyway, thank you for sharing. <laughs> this is I went to a week-long church camp in fourth grade, and on the first day after singing a medley of youth group classes, classics a la The Fruit of the Spirit's Not a Coconut, we were each given a Ziploc baggie full of sand, and we had to carry it around the entire week everywhere we went to symbolize the burden that Jesus bears for our sins. You had to carry around a sandbag? isn't like to sandbag a verb for like bullying or tricking somebody into something? I mean, oh my God. Uh, Either way, it was pretty heavy for a fourth grade audience and it really put a damper on the breezy summer camp vibes. We also had to say a Bible verse in order to go down the zip line, climb a rock wall, etc., which gave me severe anxiety as an introvert with a terrible memory. Same with the Bible verses. You guys have heard me tell tales of dangling from a rock climbing wall and not being allowed to say John 3.16 nor Philippians 4.13, because those are phoning it in. Uh, And then there was the pressure to get baptized after returning from camp. Every year, a horde of kids would get baptized following some sort of breakthrough experience at church camp. I was legit terrified of getting baptized, but knew I was expected to do it at some point. I never felt moved, so the anxiety began to build, and I'd constantly ask myself, how do I know if I'm ready? Would they question my devotion to make sure I was legit? Would I feel different after being baptized? Everyone else seemed so sure of themselves and their faith, so why am I having doubts? Story of my life. I finally bit the bullet and got baptized after my third time at camp, not because it felt right, but because I was the oldest of my age group to not be baptized and I wanted to fit in. And of course, nothing changed. I was still questioning everything in my head and just kind of went through the motions every Sunday until college. I'm now married in my 30s and choose not to go to church. I never brought any of this up to my family members who are still somewhat religious, but I wonder if they've ever had or have similar doubts. I'm sorry this was super off topic. No, it's not off topic. Are you kidding me? Like, I didn't really like set up my camp experience or explain this very well either, so I should do that too. 
because the next religious story is like kind of kind of wild for just taking people taking advantage of this um time people have away from their parents and their communities to like convert them and essentially force people i mean it's it's yeah it's crazy um sorry for the cliffhanger do you mind if i thank our sponsors first they you know they they they're that's who pays the bills and allows me to live out my dreams of telling camp stories as a full-time job because i am having a great time these stories coming up where there's like creepy things counselors did to people in the woods and i can't help but think you know are we out of the woods yet are we in the clear yet good and for today we are in the clear uh because we have clear as an advertiser killer segue you can fly safer and easier with Clear. They have a secure identity platform that lets you use just your face or eyes to move quickly and effortlessly through security. And I wanted to remind you of them today because obviously we haven't been in places with crowds or lines or queues in recent months, but uh, they have at over 50 airports, stadiums, concert halls, and other venues nationwide, you can create a frictionless journey with a faster, effortless way through security. Uh, it's basically using your face or your eyes for a safer touchless entry at places like airports, stadiums, and more. And you can kind of feel confident returning to what you love, whether you're traveling or cheering on your favorite sports team, using something on your body that you can't forget, like your eyes or uh, your face. Enrolling is super quick and easy. You can get started online, then finish uh, next time you're at the airport with the help of a friendly Clear ambassador. You don't even need an appointment, and you can start using it right away. And Clear members can add up to three friends or family members to their account for a discounted rate of only $50 per year, and kids under 18 can tag along for free. And I've told you before, like, one of my observations using Clear at airports was how especially seamless this is with kids going through security where you, you know, don't have to like fumble with like IDs and whatnot. Uh, but over five and a half million people are already using clear. And once you become a member, you can use clear for faster, touchless, seamless entry across clears network of airports, stadiums, arenas, concert spaces, offices, restaurants, and so much more. Clear is the absolute best way to help you get back to what you love. They have locations in 35 airports across the country, making it safer, easier, and faster to reunite with loved ones or take that much-needed vacation. It works great with PreCheck, too. And right now, for a limited time, you can get your first two months of Clear for free. Go to clearme.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five. That's C-L-E-A-R-M-E dot com slash be there in five. Code be there in five for your first two months of Clear for free. Clearme.com slash be there in five. Code be there in five. And I can't forget about ButcherBox. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. It is grilling season. You guys know I live for a cookout. I live for a barbecue. I'm not above carrying a cooler of frozen meats due to my ButcherBox hookup. Uh, seeing if anybody invites me in the gates. I, I just really want to be a part of these summer activities. And I have high quality meat. <laughs> what can I say? It's hard to find 100% grass-fed and finished beef for your range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon. So like that at the grocery store at a reasonable price point. It can be very expensive. The selection can be limited. And as we've talked about, like it's frustrating how misleading stuff like grass fed beef can be when they can just have a blade of grass the entire life of the animal when you need to be looking for stuff like grass finished beef. And these are things I learned with ButcherBox. And luckily today's sponsor, ButcherBox, believes everyone deserves high quality, humanely sourced meat. And it's super easy. You sign up, select your box, they ship it right to your door every month. And new members, you want to hear drum roll this month's insane deal. You get free bacon for life when they sign up. Isn't there a quote about ba- bring bring home the bacon with ButcherBox? <laughs> but seriously, who doesn't love free bacon? Uh, every month, ButcherBox will ship a curated selection of high-quality meat to your house. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals, 
packed fresh, ship frozen, vacuum sealed. And you can customize your box or go with one of theirs. It's kind of a no-brainer if you want to keep meat in your freezer to have at all times to cook, uh, you know, healthy, humanely raised meat options in your home. And with ButcherBox, you get the highest quality meat for around just $6 a meal. They even have free shipping nationwide, except Alaska and Hawaii. But backed by popular demand, they they now have the bacon for life option, which is so exciting. So right now, new members can get bacon for life when they sign up. Honestly, jealous. Uh, I've already used my first box privileges, but I hope somebody else can benefit from bringing home the bacon. Just go to butcherbox.com slash be there in five. That's a free pack. That's a package of free bacon in every box for the life of your subscription. When you go to butcherbox.com slash be there in five. I feel like there's a lot of camp stories in here. I didn't even talk about the campies, but I mean, yeah, I've been to a lot of different style camps, one on the James river, one down the North Carolina I went to for several years and then went to a lot of like retreats and lock-ins there. Uh, day camps, Girl Scout camps. I I I liked camp, which is weird because I don't like being hot or outdoor activities, but I liked the community. I didn't want to be left out of the inside jokes. And I liked being able to do stuff that I couldn't do in my normal environment, like water ski, <laughs> allegedly. Who knows if I did still. I honestly had a really good time. And I think I've talked about before how it's almost this weird thing of, I didn't really think twice about any of it until I got older and replayed a lot of the situations in my head and realized I felt like a lot of the interactions and focal points of, you know, specifically this pretty like evangelical at the time, I swear it was Southern Baptist. Now it calls itself non-denominational, but I looked up the origins of it and it's definitely Southern Baptist, um, which, you know, it, that's just what it was. I can't speak to if this represents all Southern Baptists, but, um, it was just a very different evangelical style than I was used to. And it was just like, wake up devotion. I didn't really know what to do. So I just doodle in the margins of my teen study Bible, um, and read the page about sex and drugs over and over again. Cause that was the juiciest it was going to get for me that week. Uh, you know, you go to your meals, you like pray, you do worship songs and like some Bible study thing in the morning, do some activities, obviously water ski, most Christ like, and, um, you know, canoe and, do archery and have foot races and swim. And it just like, it was fun. Like it was something different to do in the summer. All my friends went, I went back year after year. And honestly, I didn't really, it, it was such a unique experience being in a like hyper religious pocket for one week a year. Or then we'd started going to retreats and stuff over like new years randomly. And I think I obsess over it now because what I realize is I, there, nothing about it seemed off to me. I didn't really talk to my parents about it. And it was because this type of environment, uh, fosters, uh, secrecy. It is incredibly manipulative. It's a bunch of adults telling a bunch of young people who respect them and look up to them and who are trusting them with their truth and authority telling them a version of truth that is hyper subjective to their belief system. It's over sexualizing young women, over focusing on sexual immorality, um, making people who were not necessarily religious prior to that feel incredibly ashamed of things that they did, calling them out for it, making them repent for it, making people give testimonies, um, you know, just kind of like fitting people into this formula and mold for what a good person was and what would get you into heaven, all the while telling you that anybody who disagreed with you when you went back home was going to like air fry in hell. And that was a little nerve wracking too to be like, oh shit, Michelle. Like you're my best friend from my neighborhood, but like you will perish. And that just those conversations become uncomfortable. So you're kind of inclined to 
feel like you're one of the special ones or chosen ones and like not talk to people about it, even though you are encouraged to witness. But I was too shy for that. And um, I don't know. It's just like for one week a year, I just lived and breathed this. And then I would take it home with me for a little while. I'd kind of lose it. I'd dip in and out of Bible studies. And it became so normal to me that I never really undid it until I was older and while I have so many good memories, and I think I was kept out of at-risk behavior in some senses too, I always tell my mom, like, the part that bothers me is that, like, I didn't need the, like, manipulation and brainwashing and shame and, like, body, you know, consciousness and uh, hypersexualization of my power to make young men stumble. Like, I didn't, I would have behaved anyway because of who I was and what I wanted for myself. And I, I didn't feel like the scare tactics led me away from anything so much as it just internalized and manifested in different ways that just made me self-conscious about my body and my curves and my interactions with men. It made me uncomfortable around men and never really developed like a rapport that was like as flirty as I feel like some of my other friends did who uh, weren't made to feel like they were making their Christian brothers stumble at all times. I feel like it made me have this very like chummy uh, friend zony attitude from the beginning of my romantic interactions that I never quite snapped out of. I was very scared of um, giving people the wrong idea or dressing a certain way. And like, I don't know, I was just very molded by the mentality toward young women at these camps that I just really didn't think twice about at the time. Like I wasn't, I didn't have the maturity wherewithal gumption to be, to be like, you know what? I don't think it's right that you're uh, typecasting any and all sexual activity of young people without caveating the importance uh, of there being a difference between sexual activity in a consensual form and sexual abuse, which now I'm horrified as an adult that they were telling young women and shaming young women for the things they had done or trying to manipulate them out of the things they could or would do and never, ever distinguishing the difference between sexual assault and consent. And I, I mean, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. But anyway... So it's like high level, so much fun. I hung out with good kids. We stayed out of trouble. We played in the water. We sang songs. I love the sign language, you know, from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. I get, I give goosebumps even thinking about the round robin harmony of a light the fire. I love Prince of Peace. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, it's a little kitschy. Um, but I learned... I I have a lot of weird memories and weird songs I learned, but I also have a lot of really positive memories just from the context of camp itself. And while I do laugh about how often I got my soul saved, Control S was my vibe. I do not know what else they wanted me to do because I thought I had to. There was like this, all this drama at the bonfire at the end, you know, and they, they invited your soul to the front. I was like, well, I'm not dying to go to hell. Like, it would be chill to feel like my salvation was squared away by the end of this. And I won't launch into my whole issue with this positioning of this is where things predominantly shift to, like, everything is just focused on you're a sinner, you're awful, you're disgusting, you're holy, you're, like, sweetly broken, holy surrendered type stuff. It's just like, you are broken, you are awful, you have a propensity to do terrible, terrible things, and you need to be so guilty and sorry for that at all times and realize that this person who's punishing you is doing it from your best interest. And we're going to use male pronouns to refer to him. And it's like, I didn't even do anything. I'm just sitting here. <laughs> it's just like it's really confusing. Um, but yeah, I mean, all these camps have their things. I don't think it's specific to a denomination or, 
uh, even whether it was religious or agnostic, like every camp has their songs, their things, their, you know, goofy things that outside of context seem like a little weird and cultish uh, that I'm sure we'll go through. But I don't know. Isn't it? It's just funny how you can feel two ways about things. I had a great time. A lot of damage was done. And it's nobody's fault because that's the thing about religion. That's the thing about that. That's why I talk about this so much is like it's not explicit, obvious damage. It's not like something that seems uh, nefarious in real time. It's not, I don't even think that's something I take back. Like it's just part of life. Like, I don't know. I'll figure, I'm fine. I just it, it, I, I it was spending a concerted amount of time in this really intense microcosm that was not like my family or regular life that made it kind of hard to assimilate to the rest of my life. Uh, one mom kind of caught on to it eventually and we kind of stopped going. But I think like I have this unique benefit of being able to talk about those experiences as a person who was in it and also who was on the outside of it. And I think a lot of people that grow up deeply in that context with their family and their town or their you know community that they still really love and respect, like they have trouble separating. They can't talk about it the way I can. I almost have the luxury of having both experiences and can speak about it in a way that doesn't compromise my relationship with my family or friends. And that's why I think I take to the airwaves sometimes because I, I want people to not do this to their kids um, and to empower young women far more than we guilt and shame them. And, you know, as I always say, like most of all, I want people to go easy on themselves. There's, there are reasons why you are the way you are, why you behave the way you behave not to make an excuse for everything or victimize ourselves or to over pathologize. But I think that it's easier to work through things when you understand their origin. And I think a lot of the teachings at places like this really do impact, especially romantic and sexual relationships throughout your life in a way that's good to be aware of and uh, an important cycle to break. Sorry for talking so long. It was the summer between fifth and sixth grade. I finally got the opportunity to attend sleepaway camp for the first time and for an entire week. I'd never been to an overnight camp before, and I was so excited. My BFF at the time was coming with me. Our moms had planned the whole thing. Now, keep in mind, this is in the early 90s, so there's no Google to camp to see what's up. Not so much as even a brochure for the kids to peruse. I trusted that my mom had done her due dill. Boy, was I wrong. It's important to note here, I was not raised in a religious or spiritual household. We were not atheists or agnostics, just a house void of religion. We did not attend church. We didn't bother with Bible stories. Um, we just didn't acknowledge religion at all for the most part, but we didn't denounce it, if that makes any sense. Back to camp. My friend and I arrive at the all-girls camp for the big drop-off. It was just like the parent trap, you guys. We love the parent trap. <laughs> this is why the parent trap general store needs to sell cuppy. I want, if I ever have a child, I, I want I want my child to have a cuppy. Um, tons of girls running around, duffel bags and tied ITs galore, counselors with clipboards calling out your name to sign you to the proper cabin. I was in love with the entire scene. We're all a bunch of main characters, aren't we? The first afternoon evening of camp was all in the bunkhouse. Other than leaving to grab a bag lunch that was dinner the first night from the mess hall, everything we did with the first night was inside our cabin slash bunk. There was no talk of Jesus, no prayers said before bed, not even a hint of a Bible verse anywhere in sight. Anyone who has been to these types of overnight uh, camps before will know there's a very strict social structure and hierarchy of kids who attend the camp regularly. They became almost famous inside the camp. I picked up on this quickly. I also very quickly learned that if you were a newbie like me, the other kids didn't pay much attention to you. The repeat camper kids stuck close to the kids they already knew from previous summers. <sighs> Sounds like Chicago and everyone with their friend groups from Big Ten schools aren't taking any new uh, new talent. It's, been, it's, it's, it's tough, adult, kid, camp, city. <laughs> uh, oh, but you had your BFF with you. That's good. 
That first night, we played Blind Man's Bluff in our cabin. This cabin was filled with bunk beds made from solid wood. Like, they were built into the place. You could not move them. My BFF, also a newbie, was selected to be the blind man, which means she was blindfolded for the game and had to chase us around the cabin and tag us. You know where this is going. She ran full speed into a bunk and knocked herself unconscious within the first five minutes of the game. Somebody ran to get help while I ran to see if she was okay. She came to just as a counselor burst in the cabin. Where's the head injury? <laughs> they whisked my BFF, the only person I knew, away, and that was it. Her mom had to come pick her up that night, and she went home. They called my mom to come get me, but nope, she said, you're saying the week, and hung up. I cried myself to sleep that night thinking my life was over. It was when I woke up the next day that I began to realize I was in a very different camp than the ones I had seen in the movies. I was woken up the next morning by a counselor telling us to get ready for Bible study and to bring our Bibles with us. Huh? Bible study? I didn't even own a Bible, let alone bring one with me. What was going on? I got dressed and followed the other girls to a large building. We spent the first... Oh, it's, it was a church. <laughs> we spent the first half of the day in church. Church. Singing church songs. I did not know, but did know the say watermelon over and over so it looks like you're uh, singing the words trick. So I did that hoping no one would notice. They noticed. And by they, I mean the teenage counselors who pulled me aside and asked me if I had been saved. I had no idea what that meant. None. When I told the counselors I didn't know what being saved meant, they sprang into action. From that moment on, it was Operation Save This Poor Little Godless Child from an Eternity in the Fires of Hell. Every day after Bible study slash church and every night before bed, a camp counselor singled me out and asked me if I was ready to be saved yet. On about the fifth night, I was told that if I didn't get saved before camp ended, I would go to hell. I didn't know what this meant either. Remember, I was not raised around religion at all. To me, hell was a curse word, something my dad said when he was mad. Hell was an imaginary place that murderers were sent to, certainly not somewhere I, a sweet summer child, would ever be sent. So imagine my surprise when I was told by a teenager, mind you, that I would burn forever in fucking fire with the devil deep underground after I died because I was not saved. At this point, I was not only being harassed, but terrorized. I'd never been that scared in my life up until that point. I agreed that to be saved out of pure fear, still unclear on the... Oh, I agreed to be saved out of pure fear, still unclear on the meaning. But I knew I didn't want to burn in a fire. After that night, the counselor who saved me was given an award, ugh, in front of all the campers at church during the final awards and recognition ceremony. And of course, I was called up on stage with the counselors so the campers could cheer for my soul. Oh, Jesus Christ, superstar. That is so bad and so, ugh, it's so self-congrat, ugh, I'm puking. I hate this. If it had not been in the early 90s, I'm sure I would have contacted my mom again before the week was over, but that's just not how things were managed back then. When I was finally picked up and could tell my mom how she sent me to Jesus camp, she was shocked. Not upset or anything, because we were never against church and Jesus, but shocked none of the camp information she was given even mentioned anything about religion at all. Long story short, I was unknowingly sent to Jesus camp and got saved, but I was not set up for success. Oh my God, that's crazy. That's a that's an interesting watch out for all you parents out there. Like, read reviews, know, know what's going on. Like, sure, some things could be a little too religious for your liking and it'll, it'll turn out fine. I feel like I turned out fine. Um... But, like, this, that level of, like, harassment and gratuitous agenda, desire to save and, like, the public display of it, it's just so gross and weird. And it's it's a big problem that you wouldn't advertise that. Because what if you weren't Christian? That would just be so disrespectful. Um, wow. It didn't say on your packing list to bring a Bible? So interesting. Thank you for sharing, by the way. So this says, I immediately thought of my summer job as a YMCA day camp counselor. Between junior and senior year of high school, I got a job as a day camp counselor at my local suburban YMCA. 
All the other counselors were older than me and were popular kids from my high school or had graduated and gone to college. They would often get together and go out and drink, go to parties after long days of day camp. As a very shy, straight-edge high school student, love your usage of the term straight-edge. Do you think people still use that? I love how, as a as an underage person, as a minor who couldn't drink or smoke, there had to be a word to identify people who didn't drink or smoke or do drugs, as if that was, I guess it kind of was the norm, is the sad, weird part. Um but I love, like, the branding of establishing yourself as a person who's not even going to go there. Uh, so the other cool people at your camp would get together and drink after long days. My constant need to feel like the cool high schoolers I saw in the OC and the desire to impress these other counselors made me pretend to be hungover while at work to seem more cool and fit in with them. This led to me chugging water and pretending that I had a headache all day just to seem more cool the whole summer. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> As a parent now, the idea of my child going to day camp where the counselors are hungover or pretending to be hungover terrifies me. Clearly, I'd ever never actually drank because no one wants to pretend to be hungover once they've actually been hungover. Also, they never invited me to a party. <laughs> Bless your heart. Um, you know, I do think that I rem even when I first started going to more parties in high school before I was drinking, I remember having like a sip of a mic start and pretending to be drunk just because like I wanted to fit in. Uh, but then you start to, then over time, you notice kids that are pretending to be drunk and it's just like, that's not what drunk people act like. It's so embarrassing, but I totally relate to that. You, you just, it's almost like you're too nervous to take on the at-risk behavior, but you want the, you know, or like a better word, street cred. What is like summer camp? YMCA summer camp street cred, like canteen cred. I don't know. I went to Girl Scout camp every summer as a kid and the sleepaway camps had different themes you could choose from like swim, spa, theater. Oh, always spa uh, or theater. And it was always a huge decision because it changed the week drastically. One summer I chose spa as my theme, and I was so excited for the end of the week spa day with facials, massages, etc. Other than that, the week was normal, camp life with crafts, swimming, and singing. At the end of the week, our camp counselors broke the news to us that their car must have been broken into the night before because all of their spa supplies were gone. We were devastated, but totally believed our likely 18-year-old camp counselors and didn't think much of it. Looking back, I realized we were definitely tricked. <gasps> It was the last year my mom sent me to that camp. I think she realized they were taking advantage of us. <gasps> the Girl Scouts of America would not be happy with that. I'm going to especially leave this one in the episode because um, I want to know if that happened to other people. <gasps> what a scandal. It's kind of like um, the emergency face painting at my pre-cana. Wow. True crime. Be there in five style. If anybody else went to spa weekend at Girl Scout camp and was robbed of their experience for a shitty facial, please contact me. We will break this case wide open. Sorry, I don't know why that's funny to me. <laughs> she also mentioned that in order to be sent home for like homesickness, or in order to be allowed to call your parents, you would the rumor was you had to throw up. I guess it's like the rumor that on college campuses you get hit by a bus, your tuition's free. Uh, and she has a vivid memory of girls trying to make themselves throw up so they could call their parents. That's so sad and horrible. Bless their hearts. I I would get homesick too, but my sweet parents would pre-write me letters before I had left for camp for one week so they would arrive while I was at camp. <laughs> Person said I went to a Girl Scout camp a few summers. I think I was in middle school. They made you take a swim test. Oh, the swim test. Uh, actual swim strokes and the like, I don't remember what they're called. <laughs> I think that typically it was like making you uh, tread water for like several minutes or something. That's at least how it was at my camp. That was nerve wracking. 
Uh, and at the beginning of the week, you got a swim cap of a certain color based on your abilities that dictated which parts of the pool you were allowed in. I am and always have been a terrible swimmer when it comes to actual swim strokes. So I got a red cap, which meant I was a poor swimmer and couldn't leave the shallow end. I can guarantee you I had been in deep ends many times at that point and would not have died. Plus, they should have had lifeguards. I was mortified. All my friends and twin sister had yellow caps and could go wherever. They had to come visit me in the shallow end. Oh, seriously, so traumatizing. They couldn't have just made me tread water for a certain amount of time. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so, the, oh, oh, I bet you're talking about butterfly or something. Butterfly is, is so hard. It's kind of like the patting your hand on your head and rubbing your stomach of swim strokes. It takes an elevated amount of cor- coordination that your average swimmer just straight up doesn't need. And I'm so sorry if you were misjudged based on that. That is traumatizing to be like separated from you know, the rest of the camp. And I'm just saying like in the shallow end, that's so sad. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I hope you're far from the shallow now. On another note, they only let you shower every other day. You had had lake hair, right? Uh, Except if you were in the horse riding program. To be fair, when it was our turn to shower, we turned them all on and just ran through like sprinklers. But still seems concerning to limit hygiene. Okay, honestly, I don't want to stereotype, but that just supports my theory that horse girls have long, luscious brunette locks. And I'm just wondering if perhaps the maintenance and uh, well-being of the manes of the equestrian horse girls uh, was prioritized over that of the regulars. I don't know. Just a theory. I just don't know a single girl who loved horses in elementary school that didn't have long brown hair. I also do not know people named... Okay, I should clarify. I don't know a critical mass of people named anything with a V that are blonde. I th- the, the most brunette names I've, c- I've come across in, in my day are uh, Victoria, Veronica, and Vanessa. Um, and also, I just feel like for millennials, since Olivia was kind of a more unique name in the 80s and 90s, now it's more ubiquitous among youngsters. But like the Olivias I know around my age are all hot. <laughs> like it's just kind of a hot girl name. I should crowdsource. I mean, I feel like that's like a weird thing to talk about. I feel like I have just this really narrow suburban experience where I've observed, you know, my own data that I can collect. And I just feel like Olivia's like always intimidated me and were disproportionately good looking to other people. And I saw a TikTok recently that was like, I don't even remember the context of it, but it was to a song and it was joking about how you feel when a person named Olivia tells you to call them Liv. And I was like, oh, my God, I'd feel, I don't know, I'd be soaring flying. There's not a star in heaven that I can't reach, you know. Um, <laughs> OK, moving on, I swear. This person says this topic is amazing. Where to start? My church growing up offered a summer camp <clears throat> where you'd have a few hours of religion classes per day. But was otherwise a typical summer camp and bonus, you already knew everyone because this was the only Catholic church in my hometown. If you went to camp, you got a lot, you got out of religion classes for the school year. A lot of my friends and I went to camp from fifth to eighth grade and then became counselors in high school. Every year, the pranks that counselors pulled on campers became more and more over the top. My last year being a counselor, our lineup included one going into a room, shining a flashlight into somebody's eyes when they were sleeping and yelling, train. Yikes. I'd be like, ah, oh, I hate the song, Hey Soul Sister. Um, then hitting them with a pillow just as they woke up. Uh, stacking all the mattresses in one cabin on top of each other from the inside, blocking the door to enter the cabin so everyone had to climb through the windows to get back inside. You were the staff? Three, taking a canoe from the lake, bringing it into a boy's cabin, setting it at an awkward angle and filling with water so the campers had to empty the water cup by cup before removing from the cabin? 
and four tying sneakers together in a long line and throwing them in the trees? Wait, that's horrible! But perhaps the most wildly not okay prank was walking to campers, waking the campers up in the middle of the night when there was a tornado warning, dragging them to the cafeteria for safety and reading revelations to them over the loudspeaker as if the world was going to end. At church camp. Oh my God. Okay, I, uh, I'm shook. These are so, in, these, this is like parent trap level shit. Was this like in peak like 1998, like us thinking booby traps were like a reasonable way to treat people? I understand you were young. A lot of people like pranks. I'm not a prankster. Um, but also this, the weird, like, did you ever watch New Girl? You know how one of the hallmarks of Winston's personality is that he likes pranks, but they're either so like bad and non-existent, it's funny, or so over the top, he like will ruin your graduate degree or like set your house on fire. Um, that's what this reminds me of, like so needlessly over the top. I mean, hey, I'm glad you have the memories. I hope all the kids are okay. Uh, if anybody went to this camp and wants to write in from their experience, please do. I just like, think about, you created a situation for where people would be telling those stories about things you did for life, you know? It's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, I, I, I do wonder what, like where we stand with pranks in society today. Uh, because, you know, you wake up and you get, you think, you know, think you're getting hit by a train or inundated with train music. Pretty scary stuff. Might never sleep again. Uh, oh, this is relevant to two stories ago. Horse girl summer. During a week-long session at a Girl Scout horse camp in 99, my friend and I began to feel uncomfortable with the way the horses were being treated in the extreme Midwestern heat. We felt that we were not, we felt that they were not receiving enough water and rest. Feeling uber-empowered, feeling like uber-empowered activists at the ripe age of 10, we organized a sit-in <laughs> inside of our platform tent to protest said animal treatment. We soon had 15 braces-clad, bucket-hat-wearing fourth graders sitting on our tent floor, refusing to go to an evening trail ride until they treated the horses better. My friend and I were both recreational equestrian riders per our suburban upbringing and felt our horse knowledge to be superior to these camp counselors. Counselors responded by sending three costume slash masked staff members to our tent to try and negotiate with us. They referred to themselves as the homesick fairies. They provided us with a king-size candy bar as a peace offering. We politely accepted the offering but refused to eat it. We pushed for horse-related negotiations. <laughs> this is so cute. My emotionally charged friend and the leader of negotiations began to cry. The other campers followed suit with their respective tears. My friend and I were labeled as the instigators responsible for the mass protest, and we were promptly sent home for homesickness. We attempted to tell our parents about the animal mistreatment, but they refused to believe us. We refused to stay quiet about the battles we fought and ultimately lost. <laughs> we felt that the camp tried to silence us further by providing us with an additional king-size candy bar as my friend's mom picked us up at the camp office at 11 p.m. 20 years later, and our parents told bitch about how they could not get their money back from said Girl Scout horse camp. You know what? I don't care if your parents lost their money. We stand a junior animal rights activist. That is the cutest thing I've ever heard. I, I know what you mean, though. Uh, I, I used to, like, dump the crabs my dad would catch, like, out of the bucket and set them free and be like, whoops, because I just felt too bad that they were about to get cooked and meet their fate. Uh, you wouldn't want to see that happen to a horse. It's not totally different, obviously, size and scale. But also, you know, it's like you're young. You're pretty you're putting things together. The horse looks hot. It needs water. It is carrying the you know, load of your picnic or person. And it just doesn't always feel right. And I, I really do get it. And I mean, based on the Girl Scouts and the uh, 
corrupt way in which that spa day was handled, I wouldn't put equine mistreatment past them. And I think that you were gaslit about being homesick when you were just trying to stand up for animal rights, which is tough messaging. For young women, it's like, if you raise hell, you stand up for something, no one takes you seriously. You must be hysterical. You must be homesick. Here's some candy. I just hate this so much for you, and I'm just so proud of you. And you know what? I bet there was a small part of you that, sure, was worried about horse rights, but I'm willing to bet you also recently read Misty of Shinkatake, and you probably wanted to take one of them home as a wild horse to live with you, which was a reasonable thing to attempt, uh, especially if they weren't being treated properly at the Girl Scout camp. So, you know, tip of the cowboy hat to you, ma'am. I'm proud of you. Uh, you made a difference in those horses' lives, I'm sure, in some small way. And don't let anybody ever tell you that was a waste of money. I think every parent knows, going into any equestrian venture, that it's, a, it's an official rich kid activity and you're about to drop some coin if you get your kid into horseback riding. You know, they're fine. <laughs> this person says, can we talk about childhood summer camp hazing? It may not be so nostalgic as it was a cruel summer. I grew up going to both youth camp and Girl Scout camp every summer. At the Girl Scout camp, there was a hiking trail with a random concrete slab, most likely something industrial. It was known as the witch's grave. You would go on the hike, chant all the songs, and your counselors would tell you to dance on the witch's grave. As scared as you were, you obeyed your counselors because they were everything you wanted to be with their single beaded hair wraps and folded three times Sophie shorts. We would then go on about our day and get ready for swimming. We would change into our tankinis and hang our clothes on individual hooks. We would swim in the pool, divided into a shallow section and deep end section. Everyone knew you were cool if you had a deep end orange wristband because it meant you could tread water for an entire minute. These are intersecting beautifully. Anyway, after swimming, we checked our clothes, and whoever danced on the witch's grave had their underwear stolen? Embarrassing and awkward, you would go the rest of your day wondering if you could ever see your Hanes Tuesday undies ever again. That's so weird. I'm, like, worried for the Girl Scouts. Oh, you said looking back, it was weird that these teenage counselors kept around underwear. Uh, yeah. What did they do with them? Did everyone experience this at camp? No! <laughs> All I remember from Girl Scout camp was, like, sit-upons and mess kits. I remember thinking it was the most boring camp I'd ever been to, and I wasn't there that long. Um, but it was just, like, a lot of, like, there's a place on Mars where the women smoke cigars type of games, you know? She said, I remember a time where we sat on our heavily decorated stools. Google sit-upon bucket. Oh, you guys would put sit-upons on buckets. I honestly appreciate the elevation. Wearing swap hats. Oh, my God, swap hats. <laughs> Google that, too. Oh my god, it's like a it's like a, a fisherman's cap with like an aggressive amount of pins on it akin to, you know, the flare on Jennifer Anderson's vest in office space. Um, or maybe like Taylor Swift's jean jacket on that Rolling Stone cover in the Lover era. Um, the counselors blindfolded us and turned us into human whipped cream sundaes, literally putting chocolate sauce, whipped cream, and sprinkles on our heads. They then fed us Gerber baby food. What is wrong? What is wrong with people? I would be so, I was like so quiet and shy. I would have been horrified. This is not my idea of humor. See, like, you, you want to get wet and wild. Let's play categories. I, I don't need this shit. Some people had banana flavored Gerber baby food. Or peas that didn't get that messy. I had the most amount of toppings on me because what flavor of baby food did I need to guess? Veal. Ew. There are, there's, there's a form of baby food that is serving people baby meat? <sighs> I was gagging being fed all this while simultaneously being waterboarded with ice cream toppings. 
Okay, I'm not well. What is, guys, this is not normal. Or maybe it is normal. This is so bad. Okay, I'm glad this will be two parts because I need people to like write in and tell me if I'm, I don't know, reminding you of anything. Like, is, is this common? Is this part of the Girl Scout handbook? On my honor, I will try to serve God in my country and torture the youths of America. Is that Boy Scouts honor? I forget. All I know is that the Turtle Creek Lane, like Houghton family song is loosely um, plagiarized from the Boy Scouts like jingle or whatever, or pledge. Like the words on their stairs are mostly Boy Scout values. Um, I'm shook by this, you guys. I really, this is, okay, movies in the 90s and on TV shows were very physical comedy prank heavy. I think even like the other camp I revered so deeply that is roughly the same plot as The Parent Trap is It Takes Two. And there was a lot of pranking going on there too. From the bubble gum in the hair, Clarice cutting her hair off. I mean, these these kids were cruel. I saw a Twitter thread where people were nominating the next villain they want to see uh, kind of made into a feature film like Cruella. And the the voting was, it was a landslide for Meredith Blake. I, like, if they need my help, I will personally fund that film. I want to see it so badly. She was only 25. She's doing the best she can, maybe 26. I don't know. She had crisp outfits and uh, villainous eyebrows. And sure, maybe it was after Nikki's money, but I don't know. Can a young gal try and get a bag from a cute older vineyard owner, live on some nice land with a kind, you know, housekeeper slash live-in nanny hybrid person for a grown man that wears sombre tops and has a sassy sense of humor? Like, who wouldn't want that? I know. I hope they make that movie. I attended church summer camp every year from the ages of 4 to 13. I took a break for a few years and then returned to staff for a few years. One of my most horrific memories was a staff member. Multiple things happened this one year that made me never return. First, one of the older males tried to get a young female to sleep with him. Ugh. He was married with two kids. The young girl ended up in trouble and had to leave camp. The man stayed the rest of the week and acted like nothing happened. Rage. Next, two girls were caught in a ditch making out. We then had to have a camp-wide purity culture class. It was terrible. The girls were taught very damaging concepts, even down to how to keep your knees closed when standing up, exiting a car, or sitting on a bench. If your knees were not closed, then you are causing someone else to stumble. Lastly, a youth minister tried to date all the young females. Gross. He collected phone numbers after camp and harassed them? Like minors? Or counselors? I mean, it doesn't matter. But, like, it does matter, actually. Um, but, ugh. She said, I was one of them. He would try to guilt you into visiting him saying it was for Bible study. I unfortunately fell prey to this and ended up in a situation being sexually abused. That's the last time I ever attended summer camp. I am so sorry. Holy shit. What a monster. Is that person still, like, involved with camps and shit now? Like, I, I'm so sorry. That's, that's, that is what incenses me and motivates me to talk until the cows come home about... People's, you know, how people should be open and willing to question leadership in a church context because the potential for abuse of power is so immense. Um, and it's how, you know, the Catholic Church probably got away with it for so long. It's like somebody that has some sort of control or jurisdiction over you is one thing, but somebody who allegedly is like, you know, can speak to the fate of your soul. It's like, what the, what is, like the, being able to hang something that abstract over somebody's head, being able to use this sort of power uh, to manipulate people into an inappropriate or sexual agenda. It's, it's unconscionable and it's so deeply unsettling. And 
um, it's important to be aware that people do this shit. Cause like you, you can't just assume just because people appear to be religious and holy that they're good people. You really can't. If anything, that's why I always say, I think people that won't doubt, won't question that are overly charismatic and overly, and it seem to be kind of dense and oversimplified in their belief towards something. It's kind of a watch out to me cause it feels performative. I'm so sorry. You had that experience and to anybody else, um, that may have been triggering for my God. I never thought about camp that much until I got a little older and I had memories of sitting in our cabins with our counselors and it was like just girls and going around and like adults asking minors to like confess if they had been like sexually immoral, which I think is really creepy for any adult to be asking any child that sort of question. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm horrified by the lack of contextualizing uh, when this approach and with this sentiment and this treatment of sexual immorality, like when it's very different in the event of abuse or assault. Um, I just remember like girls crying and confessing to like very specific stuff they had done. And I don't know, there's a lot of it that I just, and I'm like, the counselor was 18. Like that's gross too. And they were probably just regurgitating what they were told. That's what I mean. It's like, that's why this stuff matters. And you know, Anybody who's older than you at a point, like I just revered these. I thought these counselors were so beautiful and cool and wanted to be just like them. I believed adults because I believe in respect authority. I was like a polite kid. You just don't you're not looking at this through any lens other than these people know better than me because they are adults, because they are in this position of power. Therefore, I should do what they say and remember what they say. And when it's something that's extreme and is a shock to the system, it sticks with you. And again, mom, I, I feel like my mom feels bad. It, none of us knew any of this. It was weird. We really did it. Uh, and it was nobody's fault. Like, the, But reading through these stories, like this sort of thing is like sadly kind of common. Uh, I think that they purposefully take kids from their environments and like brainwash them. <laughs> like I really do. And it does. It's just like it doesn't seem that extreme in real time. It didn't even seem extreme till 20 years later. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it, you know? Yeah. Anyways, I'm so sorry for your experience. That is something I've thought about a lot as an adult. I didn't face any sort of abuse, but I can look back and see how it created an environment that was completely hospitable to keep abusive behavior or communication under wraps. Um, and it's, it's, it is not okay. Um, next story. This one says, hi, Kate, I was never baldy enough to spend the entire summer away at camp. Spoiled with a queen bed and couldn't give it up. I feel that. However, I was forced to go in for two nights, three days on a class trip in sixth grade. Around here, we have CYO, Catholic Youth Organizations. Camp Christopher was a CYO, and every morning, all three in the mess hall, we sang, I was CYO born and CYO bred, and when I die, I'll be CYO dead. Rah, rah for Camp Chris. Rah, rah for Camp Chris. We were sixth graders and only there for three days and we're told if the sun don't touch it, no one else's sun should be touching it. Okay, that's not even good wordplay. Oh, gross. Okay, <laughs> this is so annoying. Needless to say, I did not live out any fantasies and it's steamy behind the cabin's kiss. Ugh, sorry to hear that. Uh, but like, there's something so funny to me about camp songs and camp pride and... You know, it's like high school pep rallies and mascots. Like, I get the importance of grounding yourself to a common interest or institution. But I, something about CYO born and CYO bred, uh, when I die, I'll be CYO dead. <laughs> you went there one time for two nights in sixth grade. You weren't born. You weren't bred. And when you die, you'll just be regular dead. 
That's amazing. Oh, now we the next story is a. It looks like we have one about camp music from a Mormon camp. I'm excited. I got sent a lot of stories about some pretty tough middle of the night accidents uh, in camp bunks on those stunning mattresses wrapped in military grade plastic just because of the many, many uh, accidents waiting to happen amongst young campers and uh, Como Sediche disgusting. I I can't. Uh, But fortunately, I'm here to turn my camp mattress frown upside down by thinking about you know, the luxury I've been lucky enough to experience as an adult with Helix mattresses. I told you guys I recently got the free pillows. They're a game changer. I feel like I have, I have a formal hotel bed now, which is really exciting. Um, Helix has two lines of mattresses, both standard and Lux. They're premium, premium mattresses that somehow come in a box, but they have springs for support and memory foam for plushness. They're not just foam. A lot of companies like kind of in this uh, category have the higher end ones that are a spring and foam combo and then the lower end are just foam but everybody gets the best of both worlds with helix and what i love about helix too that i don't want to forget because sometimes i forget to say this they offer exclusive discounts for teachers students military and first responders just so you know so when you go on uh, to helixsleep.com and take their sleep quiz which i know i've sung the praises of before they have this quiz that takes just two minutes to complete it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you and it also asks uh if you have a partner that sleeps in your bed, uh, asks their preferences too. So it can match you with a mattress that is, uh, you know, a balance, a compromise of both people's, uh, preferences, which is really cool. But I like that it asks pretty specific questions that I don't even know that I knew should go into my mattress decision. Like, are you a side sleeper, hot sleeper? Do you like plush? Do you like firm? We have the dusk Lux, I believe it's called. It's outstanding. And they have a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for hundred nights risk-free and they'll legitimately pick it up. And it's no big deal if you don't love it. But I really think you will. And most of you that have reached out do love it. And I love hearing from you. Because I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't think it was great. Just go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five. Take their two-minute sleep quiz. And they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. But also, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. And giving two free pillows for Be There in Five listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Last but certainly not least, we have a daily ritual of mine, and that is, of course, ritual vitamins. We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. And I've done a ton of research about ritual, and they've genuinely no sugar, no GMO, no major allergens, no synthetic fillers, no artificial colorants. They have clean, vegan-friendly multivitamins formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use. I personally have had a great experience with the delayed-release capsule in terms of not feeling nauseous, and there is a great fresh minty taste, like aftertaste that I can't fully explain, but it is glorious that follows immediately after. And I've been taking them, I guess, for like a year now. But I take vitamins to fill gaps in my diet, essentially, uh, without the shady extras that uh, I never really know what I'm getting in other brands. They have what they call is a traceable supply chain. They have a one of a kind visible supply chain and you can literally look up like online and know exactly what nutrients you're taking and where they are sourced from for a variety of different life phases, women, men, teens, whatever you need. They're quite literally, it's a clear bottle and quite literally a clear capsule with a dry and oily ingredients in one place. And yeah, I've done about a lot of research about them. I think it's a, a solid company. And while it's important to understand your own health and to uh, consult your doctor or medical professional, uh, Ritual 
for me, makes healthy habits easy. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. And if you don't love it, Ritual will refund your first order. So if you want to get key nutrients without the BS, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start your ritual today. Ritual.com slash be there in five. Hi, Kate. Ex-Mormon here. I grew up going to a week-long church camp. It was called Girls Camp because it was girls only. (laughs) Every summer from the ages of 12 to 18. I had a super awful experience my first year, so I don't know why I ever went back. More on that later. But here are some of the activities that you might get a kick out of. We'd always sing camp songs, and the one I'm most embarrassed of was called I Love My Mormon Boy. (laughs) The lyrics are as follows. I love my Mormon boy. He is my pride and joy. He knows most everything from Alma on down. One day I'll be his wife. We'll have eternal life. Oh, how I love my Mormon boy. M-O-R-E-M-E-N. More men, more men. Sing it again. Oh, wow. I need to think of if there's any songs that we, like, we had to make lists of like our husband, like all the traits we required for a husband. And I think like first needed to be man of God or godly man or something. I think, I think I've told the story before. I vaguely remember my first quality was that he needs to wear a watch, which is very uh, foreshadowing with like the be there in five of it all. Um, I might've been tall then wears a watch or vice versa, but then I got in trouble for it cause it wasn't godly. Uh, but I don't know that we sung explicit songs about like men in marriage. That's interesting. Also, that song is big London boy energy. <laughs> I try to make up a version on the spot, but everything I know about like BYU is from that YouTube bachelor of most eligible Provo or Provo's most, most eligible. One of my the best like day and a half so I spent in quarantine Greg and I binge watched the two seasons of the Mormon Bachelor that's a wild ride and one of the contestants is like now openly gay and is like a human rights activist and like pretty outspoken on Instagram and TikTok I don't know if he left the church though but yeah there's big big London boy energy there you know I love my Mormon boy I enjoy dates in Provo Froyo in the afternoon something something took me back to Salt Lake neighborhood behind gates now I guess all the rumors are true, you know? Um, very exciting stuff. Oh, she included a YouTube link. Well, it's interesting now because isn't Mormon like that's not what they want people to use? And, and how would you squeeze Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints into that song? T-H-E-C-H-U-R-C. I mean, it's just like a long thing to spell. Very uh, anti-disestablishmentarianism. Oh, they're requesting, they're uh, suggesting other videos. Do mind if I do? Yeah. Peruse couple of these. This is millionaire Travi McCoy. I want to be on the cover of Friend 
<laughs> Gotta love a, I don't know, I love a collab, I love a remix. Um, the, the Rapture, you know, like Revelations X, Travi McCoy featuring Bruno Mars. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of these I could go through. There's one that's that, I mean, also, don't get me wrong, like I sang so many weird songs. It's just, it's interesting because I didn't know, every church and camp probably has their own thing. But one that keeps popping up in suggestions is the M-I-L-K song. And um, you like say, give me an M. And the chorus is, don't give me no pop, no pop. Don't give me no T, no T. Just give me that milk, moo, moo, moo. Give me that milk, moo, moo, moo. And like at the end, it's like, give me a big milk, crowd yells chocolate. Give me a little milk, crowd yells skim. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty innocuous thinking about milk. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Don't ask how, but I found myself then on somebody's Tumblr. Uh, a song, I Need a Man, to the tune of Party Your World from The Little Mermaid. I'm not saying this is part of the church as a whole. I just, I did not mean to stumble onto these things. This is uh, from a blog about Latter-day Saint girls' camp songs. I Need a Man is to the tune of Part of Your World from A Little Mermaid. Give you some an idea of like the lyrical stylings. Um, look at my smile. Isn't it great? Wouldn't you think that I'd have a date? This part's kind of blocked off. Looking at me. Yeah, you'd think I have everything. I've got toothpaste and mouthwash aplenty. I've got hairspray and makeup galore. You want to go Dutch? I've got a 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. I want to be where the elders are. I want one for my eternal companion. One who's not afraid of, oh, what's that word again? <laughs> Commitment. In seminary class, you don't get too far. Dates are required for real romancing. Hoping for an engagement. What's the word? Oh, <laughs> ring. A guy who was fun. A guy who was pure. It goes on and on. Uh, what would I give if I could live in Salt Lake City? What would I pay to spend a day on Temple Grounds? Bet you they'd call if they weren't all just so intimidated. Bright young maiden, sick of waiting, ready for more. <clears throat> need, to, need to dust off the pipes. Oh, I've got awful singing voice. Uh, but also I, that was totally off tune and I don't think I was matching the lyrics to the melody, but like, uh, it's just an interesting thing of like, but my teeth are white and I have mouthwash. Why can't I get a man? So sad. I, I, I don't love the singing of, I don't love the focus on the husbands. And it's like that, that planting that seed that you need to be married uh, that young that like a Mormon husband is the goal like okay fine if that's what you want for your life but like it's hard to find love what if you haven't found the right person what if you don't want to get married what if you you know aren't straight you know what if you meet a Mormon boy who's like a bad guy like there's just so many ways that this can't it doesn't go right and it's just it's not bad to like any little girls like dream of getting married and stuff whatever uh but it's just it's interesting to almost like indoctrinate in this way that is so specific to uh, needing to find a Mormon boy and wear white and all the things. And yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but that said, all denominations have different forms of this, I'm sure. Uh, and that part of this world song, I don't think is common. I just had to laugh when I came across it. <laughs> I want to be where the elders are. <laughs> this person said, I grew up in a small town that had a county fair every summer. 
A season pass for four days was like $20 to $25, and I remember thinking I was going to need to win the lottery to convince my parents to spring for the luxury. You got a different color wristband. It was a highly coveted status symbol. Dress code was, of course, tiny shorts or denim skirts, cowboy boots that were in no way conducive to the weather or activities. I could tell you the first and last name of every couple that kissed on the Ferris wheel or held hands through the fair lights with the smell of the FFA animals in the air. Oh, my God. I just we're all like the same people. I could tell you the first and last name. It's big yearbook energy. Um, the Facebook photo albums were always gold with titles like In Da Fair and had pictures of girls with a duck face next to a prize pig. <laughs> Movie theater. We used to go to the movies as a group a lot over the summers because it was air-conditioned and a place to hang out with an arcade. Before websites, though, we had to call a number to get the showtimes, of course. I still remember the number to this day, 860-MOVIE. Real creative. The problem was you and your friend would be dead set on seeing Mean Girls at 7, but then you'd call the next group whose parents would only let them watch Shrek 2 because they were more strict. We'd have to figure out the length of the movie in minutes to see if we could sneak them into Mean Girls and still be done at the same time. Why do movies say they're 124 minutes? Why can't they just say they're two hours and four minutes? That's an outstanding question. It's kind of the same as like, why are you telling me your child's 21 months? Like, I, I can't do mental math. I'm not Kornacki. Um, the coordination it took to get eight 14-year-olds Eight 14-year-old girls to the movies felt like we were landing a lunar mission. My daughter thinks group chats are bad. Imagine not being able to get in touch with group one because group two and group three were on the other line. And then group three tries to call, but their brother needs to get on the internet. I think this is where my anxiety to talk on the phone came from. Honestly, same. <laughs> That's so funny about the movies. It's like a, You had to do what you could to see Mean Girls, though. I mean, compared to Shrek, too, uh, the, the Mean Girls in theater experience was like, did I just see the greatest film of, like, was this Gone with the Wind? I, I, I mean, talk about a gruel summer. Uh, she then said, didn't, did you really grow up in the 90s and 2000s if your family didn't take an annual beach photo in all white or all blue? My mom used to let me bring a friend on vacations because I have all brothers who like to deep sea fish or do sporty excursions and I talk too much. <laughs> I remember every year we would all get in our white outfits and sometimes blue if we wanted to mix it up. And my mom would force my friend to take pictures of our entire family. My mom was furious one year when I was in fourth grade because my friend Heather had a single strand of hair blown over the lens for the pictures. It kills me now because she was 11 and taking pictures on a windy beach. There, Those are some pretty high expectations, Tammy. Oh, my God. That was really well written. That was funny. <laughs> That's another Mormon story. This person says, I grew up Mormon, which means every girl... Which means every summer, as a youth, between 12 and 18, you go to girls' camp. Being from Southern California, many of ours were hosted in really cool places. One time we hiked the Grand Canyon. Another year was whitewater rafting. We did Catalina Island one time. But no matter the location, it was always some cliche religious theme like, wickedness was never happiness based on the musical Wicked. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, was there ever Mamma Mia theme? Did you go somewhere like Greece? Take a chance on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, <laughs> summer 2009. <laughs> I love that song. Take a chance on me. Uh, I also love Honey Honey. I love Lay All Your Love on Me. I love Mama Mia so, so much. She said the evenings would be dedicated to an extravagantly planned event with some deep-rooted religious message. I've sent le since left the church, but in my faith crisis, I had one of those experiences literally haunt me, and I cannot believe this is what I was subjected to. The activity... It's the the term faith faith crisis is interesting and helpful for me to hear because I kind of breezily in a long term sense separated and like I said earlier I feel like I uniquely can't have the ability to doubt and question and 
cherry pick and kind of leave stuff behind without having to compromise my like family or community. But it's like such a different thing when your family's so ingrained in something and you're starting to question it. And I need to be like more sensitive to what a big deal it is for people to kind of unravel these things. Um, so the activity was called hold the rod based on a scriptural message. It was held at the, at night in the forest and there was a rope that led you through the trees. You were supposed to hold on and follow the rope until you reached the bottom in which they determined was akin to the celestial kingdom, the highest degree of heaven. But as you went along the rope, you'd be tempted, coerced, scared, enticed to leave the path. And if you did, you would be taken to another area that would represent the other afterlife options, which included other two degrees of heaven, or if it was really egregious outer darkness from those places, you could see where the faithful ended up, which was, was a campfire with blankets, treats, and music, but you were not afforded any of the same luxuries from your lesser degree of heaven. Thinking about it now, I'm horrified to think about teaching kids a simple act of stepping off a path by someone offering me a warm mocha latte that I didn't know had coffee in it would send me to the Mormon version of hell, which is really anything other than the celestial kingdom. I also remember the embarrassment when those of us who didn't make it had to repent and take the walk of shame to join the faithful ones by the fire. Maybe nobody will find this as crazy as I feel like it was, but man, as I dealt with the guilt of leaving the church and letting go of the rod, I experienced a little bit of horror relating it to that activity. No, I don't think you're crazy. And I think that's case in that is textbook manipulation. It's it's finding an analogous way to terrify somebody from what they know could ultimately make them separate and find out something other than their truth based on even just feeling a slight amount of agency or freedom to explore dissenting opinions, to read other materials, to question everything you know and believe in, if anything, to stand stronger in your faith. But that sort of representation of stepping off the path and never questioning it ingrained and indoctrinated into a young person's head would utterly terrify you from ever stepping back. And it's done on purpose. It's really scary and it's very cult-like and it's not just the Mormon church. It's, you know, look up hell's fire and heaven's gates. Uh, it's, we've talked about it in uh, True Love Waits. It's a really terrifying evangelical play that's still put on to this day that, I mean, it's designed to traumatize you. It's designed to affect your, the, the pathways of your decision-making. You're given literal metaphors for what the repercussions of your decisions are in a way that is completely extreme, unrealistic and, and damaging in a presents it in a oversimplified way a child can understand to utterly scare the shit out of them. It's a scare tactic and it's, it's wrong. And I'm so sorry that that haunted you as you, you know, let go of the rod, so to speak. Um, but the important thing is that you did not in a sense of the absolute purpose, you know, point being leaving the church, but as I always say, my desire for people to follow their compass where it's naturally pointing and not to second guess their own intuition in favor of parties that can potentially be extreme and manipulative and have a major agenda to serve themselves and the importance of acknowledging when something no longer serves you, you know? Uh, anyways, thank you. For, thank you very much for sharing. This person said, my sister and I ran the neighborhood pool for years. It was the place to be, and we were there all the time. They closed on certain days for lunch, and we would get there when they opened in the morning, packed lunch, and ate, ate it on the picnic tables outside the pool because it was closed, then stayed all through the afternoon. The playground had an aluminum slide that was always so hot, a blacktop with basketball goals on both sides. It's a miracle my skin never melted off legs or bottoms of feet. Honestly, thinking of black asphalt in the summer is so triggering. It, I, uh, when it like radiates, ugh, I hate being hot. <laughs> uh, 
the showers had L'Oreal tear-free shampoo in the fish bottles. Oh my gosh, I can smell the green apple from here. That smell mixed with chlorine and bleach still takes me back. Our babysitters would sit and tan the entire time we would run around like main characters. I once remember a real main character moment when our babysitter knew the hot lifeguard and he gave us a ride home in his topless Jeep. Sunburn and windblown for the eight neighborhood blocks we'd had to go, but no doubt we jammed to that latest DMB release. The pool is now filled with the practice soccer field, which is so incredibly sad. Songs from the late 90s will always remind me of the stereo system radio they had playing in the corner. Those were the days. Oh my gosh. You main charactering in the back of a Jeep Wrangler. Wow. I mean, if you had seen Clueless at that point, you were living the dream. Anytime I was in a convertible of any kind, I felt like a queen. I felt like I was at home. I felt like my hair was getting the breeze it so deserved uh, in an otherwise mundane drive that I wanted to turn into a main character moment. I ideally would probably crank up some Dina Carter strawberry wine, which I did first learn for the first time at a different summer camp. The very first one I went to in sixth grade that was like on the James River somewhere. We stayed in Hogan's. I knew nobody. And the camp counselors danced around to Dina Carter's album, Did I Shave My Legs for This? And I learned what strawberry wine was about. And honestly, since at the time I wasn't allowed to read like juicy magazines, that virginity story was like as good as it got. I, I, I rode high off that one for years until I heard another virginity classic like Vanessa Carlton's White Houses. Uh, one time my uncle came to babysit us and he rented a white cabrio. And that was the first time I watched Clueless was with him. And I'll never forget it. It's one of my best memories. The things you do in passing, you know, whether it's for your kids, your nieces, your nephews, that let them do something a little outside of their normal uh, realm of allowance or that feels special or, that, you know, maybe slightly break a rule or allow them to feel like you're making an exception. Like that's really memorable and exciting. And I mean, little did my uncle know this, this that experience would impact me so deeply that, 30 years later, I would get in small arguments with my husband about how badly I wanted to share Horowitz's car. (laughs) He just never say that you're not making a difference. But that said, it's funny that you had that experience of feeling cool with your babysitter's boyfriend. My parents were on high alert for no boyfriends with babysitters, which I would be too. Are you kidding me? Um, Also, any kids of mine will be surrounded by nest cams probably. Uh, cause I just, it's amazing. How, like we talked about with the babysitting episodes, how much trust people had. Uh, but yeah, my parents were not happy when I get rides home from strangers, but that makes sense now. Uh, but I just, I so support you and deeply understand what a moment that must've been. Yeah. You want, I mean, you understand why most cries like at water skiing over here, like had the time of her life hair whipping in the wind on that boat. Being around people you think are objectively cooler than you, therefore raising your social status by affiliation, all while a three-disc changer is playing under the table and dreaming. Like, man, those were the days. You're so right. In the event you're a new listener and you don't understand the reference and or merch that says most Christ like at water skiing, it's actually a story I told from camp, but I found it in one of my like keepsake boxes looking for any semblance of excellence in my life. But I found two things. And I shared this story because I think it's an ode to my own mediocrity and that I often think people, sometimes if you're like, do something public facing, people think you have this like life of excellence. And I am just such a solid B student and I really was never that good at anything. But I think that that's why I've done better as an adult because I just don't feel paralyzed to take chances, to take risks, to not to fail. Like it was always okay to fail at stuff as long as we tried. And if I didn't like something or if I wasn't feeling it, I'd dip out. And I think that that's why I got this award at camp Um, In my, you know, keepsake box, there were two outstanding awards that just show, you know, how high caliber I was in all of my efforts. Uh, One was a fourth place ribbon from a single swim meet. The other was most cries like at water skiing, which is a superlative I got at the end of summer camp in 1999. And on the back, it says, 
Haiti, remember, water skiing is nothing, and Jesus is everything. And I think I maybe mused on an episode at one point, like, what the hell does that mean? Does it mean I walked on water? Does it mean I, like, had this element of kindness and charity and sacrifice in the way that I led others on the skis? Uh, while I sat back and just enjoyed the wind in my hair on the boat, uh, was there something like, I just, at a Southern Baptist camp, most Christ-like would suggest like, I'm the best, like that's the goal. But the back saying water skiing is nothing and Jesus is everything makes me think they wanted to be like, don't worry, buddy. It doesn't mean anything. As long as you got Jesus, it doesn't matter that you're a garbage water skier who face planted the entire time. I just don't remember. At the end of one of the, I think Rachel Hollis um, I, I went into a weird diatribe about, um, like Rachel Hollis had, uh, talked about how she is where she is. Cause nobody else is willing to climb the mountain just to get to the top. And, and I was like, I don't like, what if you don't even want to climb the mountain? Like, I just, I love Apres ski. I just want to chill at the base with like the regular people and have a great time. And, um, I kind of feel the same way about water skiing as I do snow skiing. I love the atmosphere of being in a mountain town. I love the clothes. I love the coziness. I love the drinks and the foods and the fires and the, the Lincoln logs. Uh, and I, I'm same with water skiing. Like I love being on a speedboat. I love the wind whipping through my hair. I, I love to watch people tube and wakeboard. Hell, I enjoy, uh, I, I felt, I went on vacation this week watching the scales at Lake Powell. Who was a, okay. Is that a yacht? In a landlocked state, <laughs> I'm so confused. What are the, what what is that? That uh, Rachel Parcell and her whole family of beautiful people that are all skilled wakeboarders. <laughs> I'm just like God. I would Airbnb that so fast. Can you sleep on that boat? I just I want I, I want I'm so I'm so interested in this lifestyle of cute activewear, high fertility, uh, luxurious recreation, and intricate step aerobics classes. I bring, I feel like I bring up something about them constantly and I never mean to, but I just, I don't know. There's people that I've followed for like a decade now that I'm just like attached to them. And I, I follow their families and in a weird way, care about them. What can I say? They're my Instagram Kardashians. Uh, there's a show filming at Turtle Creek, Creek Lane's house. And the people that have DM me about this seem to think that it's sweet magnolias and she posted a photo and it looks like Joanna Garcia may be in the photo. And that would kind of track. She said it's a show in its second season. That's a Southern show. So I don't know. It's pretty exciting. Um, but anyway, you guys, why was that? Why did I bring that up? Oh, most cries like at water skiing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's offensive or deeply flattering. Um, I'm going to guess the former. And I share this and I put it on merch because... I think it kind of represents this like irony of multiple things. One that I've largely used this podcast to inadvertently kind of deconstruct a lot of what I learned in at religious camps, making me somewhat unchristlike. But the joke is I've forever chasing what I genuinely believe to be the version of Christ uh, or, or whatever you believe in that. Like I was first introduced to, which is one of love and not wrath Um and not judgment and, and not damage. And, uh, my goal is never to make people like needlessly question, but to feel loved and accepted and embraced and to know that in a religious identity, you deserve to feel that way. And 
But the joke is like, I, I am the antithesis. I am the least Christ-like thing, according to the opinion of a place like the Southern Baptist camp I went to that would very much denounce much of what I stand for. See, it's not about finding your confidence through being the best. It's about finding ways to be confident despite not always being able to guarantee you'll be the best. And um, I made it into merch just because it makes me laugh how much of a common thread religion is on this podcast, how I have no idea what the award means. And I just wanted to remind people that external validation, recognition of talent uh, by a third party is satisfying, but it's not everything. And you can get the most random ass awards and have them mean nothing just as you can get awards and put so much stock into them and let them mean too much to you. Uh, most Christ at water skiing is just an example of a thing that I most certainly am not. I don't water ski, nor do I think most religious people would find me Christ-like <laughs> yet. Here I am. It's almost like the too long needs co-host of it all. Uh, what else can you do but profit off of other people's maybe insults? Anyway, just some quick context. People ask me a lot what the hell I'm talking about when I say Beth, what Christ like a water skiing is. I need to like make an FAQ document. Because I want to celebrate inside jokes that I always have to explain them, but I, I hate feeling out of the loop, too. Uh, this person said, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs with the lore of one of those lake blobs. Yes, brought many of us to this Christian camp in Wisconsin. Only then to get the full bait and switch of intense evangelical soul-seeking American Christianity. The souls that blob saved. Anyway, one activity was essentially capture the flag with a Lord-pleasing twist. It was called Red China. <laughs> we would attempt to deliver Bibles from one end of camp to the other. If the counselor caught us, we'd have to witness and convince them of the truth of Jesus. If we didn't convince them, we were sent to a sort of prison for a determined amount of time. This was to mimic the plight of missionaries in China, to help us hone our witnessing skills, and of course walk away from summer camp with the capture the flag adjacent experience. What? That is... Wow. <laughs> Every day we had personal Bible time, cabin Bible time, morning rally, and evening preaching. The real emotional stuff was always during the evening preaching, particularly Tuesday and Friday. I love your memory. At the age of 10, they showed us the scene from Titanic with all the frozen bodies and said this was the world since so few had accepted Jesus? It was intense at the age of 10? Oh my god. I mean, it would have been hard to not be a smartass. Like, actually, they hit an iceberg and actually the water was really cold and like... People just like froze to death because like the water was freezing and it was actually a terrible tragedy. And even though there was enough room on the driftwood for both Jack and Rose, we are now too distracted by feeling guilty because we rewound and rewatched that steamy car scene and draw me like one of your French girls several times. And the church made you probably want to feel really bad about it, but you shouldn't. It's art. Um, a bit older, we were told the cautionary tale of a guy who once was active in the church who started drinking and smoking weed. Oh, no, not grass. <laughs> oh, God, this is awful. Skip ahead 30 seconds if, like, trigger warning. Yikes. A bit older, we were told to... Okay, eventually due to this same peer pressure, this guy that did drugs, that got him to do... Eventually, due to the same peer pressure that got him to do drugs in the first place, he would join his friends in gang-raping a girl with a paper bag over her head. The bag was removed afterward, and it was his sister... I'm horrified. Ew. Ah, oh, you watched a video of that? What the f- uh, It was this last story and the fact that I made my parents pray in a McDonald's on our way home that finally made my religious parents pull the plug on the experience. Whoa. I did actually love it in the time and I went for like seven years. I was an intensely emotional and thoughtful kid, always acutely aware of my mortality. And finally I had a social outlet for all the deep thoughts and worlds I lived in internally. 
whoa, I just got goosebumps. That's that's like maybe what I really that, that's interesting. That's helpful for me. Um, yeah, I also credit the outdoor worship concerts during the summer in the woods, fueling my love for summer concerts. This was the height of the purity age, 99 to 2006. So you know exactly what that was like, the negatives I came away with due to that. But to teach us about inner beauty, we often were banned from using mirrors. I feel like this did give me early and persistent ballerina farm energy. <laughs> you know, breezy and au naturel. And now pageanty. Uh, I can't get over that baller- I, ballerina farm. So can be, I mean, it's uh, cool if you want your kids to live that life, but her husband, her husband's dad is like, the founder of JetBlue, like they're loaded. And that's when I feel like cosplaying farm life is interesting. I'm sure there's good in it and, you know, that's their prerogative. But it is interesting when you don't need to be doing something. Um, anyways, and I'm not, Ballerine Farm's the least uh, eventful thing that happened in that the past two minutes. Uh, wow, what an email. Glad you made it out of there, okay? Glad your parents pulled you out eventually. That was horrifying. Um, but to your very uh, astute point about the world you lived in internally and camp kind of fulfilling part of your deep awareness of your own mortality. And like, I, I relate to that deeply. And also, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but like somebody had talked about like, Oh, should I get baptized? Will I feel it? Will I understand the feeling that not identifying with like the way the intensity everybody else seemed to have. And I didn't either. And I wanted it really bad. But what was confusing for me is that I loved the concerts and I loved the praise band and I loved the singing and the group harmonies and the sign language. And like, I loved all the uh, musical content that it gave me like frizzen, like goosebumps. Like I'm very easily goosebumped by music. And I think that that, that feeling that would overcome me that honestly I can get listening to Mariah Carey's hero or shout to the Lord. Um, I think that I was confusing like the, those good feelings with like, you know, something spiritual not to say Mariah Carey's hero isn't spiritual, but you, you go what I mean. Uh, I think they use that to confuse people's emotions. Summer before fifth grade, I was chosen as safety patrol captain. See attached photo. Still my proudest accomplishment. I'm currently in my last year of med school. I had to go to a week-long sweep-away camp with our other safety patrols. Were you like a crossing guard? That's really cute. I had previously been to church camps and expected something similar. Instead, this camp featured four-hour morning sessions of watching safety videos in a dark basement how to cross kids on bikes versus on foot, how to thwart potential kidnappings, obviously from an unmarked white van, how to call in a police report of the license plate number if a car ran through your stop sign. We then had a four-hour, we then had four-hour afternoon sessions where we stood in a fake parking lot next to a fake school, a literal cardboard cutout, and ran through scenarios we may face as a crossing guard. It poured rain one day and we weren't allowed to stop early because kids still need to get to school safely in the rain. The worst part of this camp was not the utter lack of fun, but that every night there was a bonfire. We had to buy this some more supplies from the canteen. And I had spent all the money my parents gave me on a t-shirt from the camp store within hours of arriving. I also got food poisoning on the way out. <laughs> Sorry. That is such an intense camp for a fifth grader. And you guys, this picture, she's so tiny. She has pigtail, pippy, long, saggy braids. And, her, and she's saluting the camera. It's the, the proudness of her crossing guard, like, satch slash belt thing. It's adorable. Oh, my. You're wearing, like, a Timex Indigo watch. Clearly, your parents take great care of their lawn. Um, this is adorable. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's so intense. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll wrap up soon, and I'll do a part two, I promise. Went to a Christian summer camp in northern Minnesota. A pretty typical Christian summer camp. Nature hikes, craft cabin, swimming, Bible study, chapel. 
every day. There were so many weird things that went on, but one of the weirdest was at the end of the week when they had a carnival and all the campers and counselors went. Rides and crafts and candy and stuff. But it also had a booth for getting married. <laughs> what? <laughs> My memory was that it was kind of a large box. And you went in unsupervised and got married with plastic rings. And your friends would all wait outside and clap when you came out. I remember going in with a counselor and he kissed me and it was very exciting, but also so, so weird. What? Like on the cheek? Can you clarify? Will you email me back? <gasps> and then we were dot, dot, dot married. My best friend also married him. So it sort of stole my thunder. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I'm horrified, but I get it. Um, I was super entrenched in 90s purity culture, so it all felt very scandalous. But I can't help imagine what other things went on in the Camp Carnival marriage booth. You're telling me. Wow, that was some scoop. I'm still waiting on like a dance story from a secular camp. But w of course, you guys, we're all the same. <laughs> we all had these really weird experiences at church camp. <laughs> Never as sexy as you want it to be. I also have to say, uh, as I'm finishing recording this, I had to hop on the phone. I use WAG sometimes for tugboat. And I just like a random WAG request for a nearby dog walker so you could get some exercise and get off my... You know, he's a, he's a little vocal during my calls sometimes. And the person that came to my door was a Beth. And they were like, I love the podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, welcome to my home. Here's my dog. <laughs> it was a fun experience. So I just wanted to shout out Allie. Thanks for taking good care of Topcoat. He loved you. So nice to meet you. Sorry you can't come in July. She's going home to see her family, which I support. She gave a really good PowerPoint presentation on, uh, cons well, she owns a consignment business here in Chicago. And she was awesome. So, Allie, if you're out there, nice to meet you. That was such a fun surprise. And I'm um, trying to figure out, like, what what's a good cutting off point? Because, well, I'm also laughing because I spent the first, like, half hour just talking about, like, my summer pool memories and country club country club woes. But these are all camp stories, which makes sense. Um, I mean, mostly all. I'm just laughing. Uh, but I have so many more. Like, I maybe made it through a 16th of them. I'd like to read them live, but now maybe I need to organize them for the second episode. I just, like, this is too good. Um Oh, here's a dance story we can end with. I've been looking for a sexy dance story. Uh, this is a camp outside of Williamsburg, Virginia. Oh, was it Westview on the James? Because I went there. Um, we were all 13 and up. Lots of moody teen angst. They hosted a dance at the end of the two weeks where you'd think you had a shot at the cute guy from the regular side of camp that you crushed on until in the cafeteria cabin until the counselors would come plowing in between the two of you, slow dancing, saying, leave room for Jesus. <laughs> there goes my hope for a saucy story uh and like jesus parted the red sea the counselors parted you from your one true love mine was a boy named graham that's a good name another summer when graham wasn't there either before or after a bad boy named john with bleached m&m hair and a silver chain from the piercing boot it was the object of my affection we tried to sneak a kiss in the woods <gasps> exciting i can't remember if it worked or not well i'm gonna guess it didn't i mean that would be memorable right I mean, I dreamed of a bad boy like a Jess Mariano, but an M&M. Wow, out of my league. I would have been thrilled. We played a game called Smuggler, similar to Capture the Flag. At least it's not Red China. Uh, you were encouraged to wear all black, carry a Bible verse on a small piece of paper like a fortune cookie, and try to cross this giant field in the middle of camp without being caught by camp counselors and their flashlights. Once you got caught, back to the cabin you went. Oh, and by the way, you failed Jesus by not being able to successfully spread the good word. What are these games? We also had this one kid sit at the bottom of the pool and hold his breath all the time, like in a competitive way to see how long he could do it. He must have passed out and ultimately drowned. He, they airlifted him out of there. I don't know if he ended up living or dying. Anyway, awesome topic. <laughs> okay, what? <gasps> That's traumatic. How can you follow up? <gasps> it's awful. 
that's the thing. It's like sometimes kids that do things to impress people or like service punching bags or like egg, get egged on by other kids to do things like kids do not understand what is legitimately life and death. And it terrifies me to think of someone's kid. Oh God, that's awful. Not as awful as you being part of like the Red Sea uh, during your one and only time to dance. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Oof, what a ride. Oh, here's a pool story. I'm just going through these. I, I need to stop at some point, but it's so fun. Uh, some thoughts on suburban pool culture of the 80s and 90s. During high school years, my parents had moved to this very small town in Kansas. The only option was to go to, to, go to a pool was to join the country club. Now, this isn't a fancy club or anything. With the membership, we had to spend a minimum of a certain amount of on food for a month. I'm so grateful this came full circle. Since we didn't really eat in this club, pool food was the way to spend the money. My sister and I weren't allowed much candy growing up, and she would get tons of candy, and we'd order <gasps> fried cheese sticks, chicken tenders, and cherry Cokes. Ugh, mouth is watering. It was delicious post-swim. I remember once they were out of the frozen pre-made cheese sticks and made the batter by hand. Deep fried goodness. <laughs> I love that you remember that. I remember cool teenage couples swimming around in this country club during the adults-only swim time. Later, when I was an older teen and tried that with my boyfriend, we got in trouble. Ugh, that's lame. Oh, geez, you said also likely because the boyfriend wasn't white and this town was not the friendliest. Oh, that's awful. Jeez. Uh, my family had a pool in my earlier years pre-Kansas. I disliked team sports. I don't remember ever wanting to play sharks and minnows. Having a pool was a default for neighborhood and birthday parties. My friends and I mostly did dive slips and jumps off the diving board or floated around. Many people trained for scuba diving in the city for their vacations. My friend's pool was often used for this training. Once her mom had a pool party with the theme Girls Just Want to Have Fun, and the theme t-shirt was so, 80, so 80s cool, I kept it for over 12 years. The green hair from the chlorine was a constant in those childhood summers. Also, living in Oklahoma, the summers are very hot and humid. I dislike camp, but the times I went, the pool time was the best. I can't recall if they made us play games. If they did, I wouldn't like that. Also, we got to get pick a package snack after swimming. I love these memories. We got to pick a package snack. Going to the lake, having lake houses is very common in Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, probably many other places. I did learn this with um, the Skunk Pavilion. What's it called? Skunk's Lake. Skunk Town. Was... Possum Kingdom. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. Turtle Creek Lane's palatial home in Possum Kingdom. She has like mini houses for her family. It's a whole thing. Um, I learned how to water ski, love tubing, and would swim for hours off the dock. A friend of mine and I got in trouble for swimming too far off the cove once by the lake police. There's a very specific time at the lake. Oh, there's a very specific time at the lake smell. This includes boat gas, lake water, a bit fishy, barbecue, and sunblock. Oh, that's the stuff. Another specific pool culture memory was when the local water park showed movies on this big screen in the wave pool. The wave pool was turned off during the movie, but people could float around and watch the movie. I feel like this would seem gross now when just sitting there wet for hours, but I guess that's a water park thing anyway. <laughs> Looking forward to pool culture. Um, that was sweet, and I love that, and I'll end on that note because it's a positive one. And uh, I don't know, for those of you living out your best lives in the burbs, near pools, near the shore, I'm deeply jealous. I'm happy for you. And... I hope, you know, even though the summer camp stories are a bit intense, I hope some of the light pool fodder, too, uh, reminds you that, you know, whether you have kids or youngsters in the neighborhood or people related to you or you're still young yourself, and we all are, uh, summer's a, just a, such a special time to make memories and to be off the clock and uh, from picking out a package snack after you're done with the pool to me making a sandwich, watching a storm roll in. I, I love... Uh, to think about the present time and how any moment is an opportunity uh, to create a sensory memory for yourself or for somebody else for years to come. And 
what magic can be created from the most simple of things that we don't need to always overthink. Everyone has their over-the-top parties and events and sports and packed calendars, and there's just so many ways to get caught up in uh, the summertime. But don't forget about the food and the smells and the togetherness and the staying up a little late and getting to do fun things the kids don't otherwise get to do and uh, the you know humor and observing life and culture through the lens of being a kid at a pool in the summer and how people interact and don't forget that the way you talk about like your body and bathing suits like people will pay attention and listen to those things don't forget to google the camp you send your kids to <laughs> I learned a lot during this episode um, but the most overarching thing perhaps is how utterly memorable these things are in ways that I'd argue so many passing events of like the regular old school year aren't uh, for better or for worse and um, I'm so grateful to you guys sharing your stories and your memories with me and we'll continue. I'll do as many episodes as I need you to get through these. Like this is so entertaining for me and it's summertime and you guys are probably like listening on vacation and I, you know, sometimes I need breaks from like pointed topics and this has been really fun and nice. And, um, I don't know. I just hope you and your families, you and your loved ones, your friends, whoever you're spending your time with, uh, whether it's through a chicken tender or through a boat tender off a yacht, I hope you are making your own magic. It can come in so many different forms, regardless of where you are, how much money you have. And hopefully they'll later become your anecdotes for the good old days. And obviously for me, please enjoy your basements or, and or country clubs. <laughs> oh, and your cars. Please, please blast Olivia Rodrigo the way she deserves. And I so desperately wish I could do solo, obviously. And, uh, I mean, the most important thing with summer too, especially what I was talking about at the beginning, like, don't forget to be confident and wear what you want and don't let anxiety about going to a beach or a pool or whatever rob you of your own memories. You look great. You're doing the best you can. We just made it out of a fucking pandemic. I mean, I just don't want, like, I used to dip out of things all the time because I wasn't feeling great about myself and I didn't want the skin exposure. And now I'm just annoyed with myself for letting that get in the way of making memories with friends and, um, just go easy on yourself. I, I think that I'm going to start, maybe I'll start to live by if you can't tone it tangent, just from a standpoint of like, why the hell are we talking about toning and tanning? And there's a million other ways we bring value to the table and things we could be talking about. And therefore now I will force conversations that start to become about weight or our bodies into absurd tangents about the perils of wet currency in an unruly vending machine, for example. <laughs> but anyway, you guys, I love you. Thank you for sharing. Um, come back next week with for plenty more stories. I won't even talk at the beginning. It'll just be uh, packed from end to end with your emails. And if you liked this episode, I'd love it if you shared it on Instagram. Um, you know, given Alex Cooper is getting a $60 million payout from Spotify, um, you know, for calling her daddy. If you could tell like 10,000 friends each, that would be huge. I would really appreciate it. But until then, I'll just, you know, I'll just keep plugging away. <laughs> the, the most helpful thing you could do is leave a review, leave five stars and subscribe um, and tell a friend if you like this podcast and want my fate to continue. Uh, I just am trying to survive out here in a very celeb focused industry that there's a lot of talent acquisition going on at these big places. And um, they're really going for like the huge, huge podcasts and, that's awesome. And it's like such good precedent and it makes me excited about this industry, but I'm also like, Ooh, I get a little nervous that, uh, you have to be pretty big to survive. And I don't know. I want to pass the swim test. I do. <laughs> uh, so thank you for everybody's support and I will talk to you next week. As always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. 
I'll be there in five, I swear. 